Uh, I'm Tony Fleece. I draw My Little Pony. You're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. You rip your pants on that one? Nice. Working to defend. <laughs> Cupping <them> again. <laughs> there was definite cupping. Cupping, baby. Y'all Sure, sure as hell don't need any ice with this drink. Oh yeah. Dude, I finally watched Princess Mononoke. Oh, did you love it? Loved it. Sure you did. Dude, and then my six-year-old put my wife on black because oh, they were home. They were home dealing with snow. And then she was like, oh, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I want to watch Princess Mononoke again. No, I don't watch that. that. That doesn't sound good. And he goes, Mom, you're always telling us that it's important to try new things and not to judge things until we try them. And then you don't, you've never seen Princess Mononoke and you just think it doesn't it stink. It doesn't seem right to me. She put, so she totally put him, he totally put her on blast if you watched it. He's learning from Dad. I know. She hated it. Though. She, she hated totally, it? Yeah. <laughs> she was like, it was everything I expected it to be. I'm like, yes, but it's important that you tried it. She's lucky she's hot. <laughs> she has such disdain for comics. It makes me greatly sad. Do you do you know the reason why? Because they bring you great joy. <laughs> no. That that's what I found out with no. women. If they know if they know something on the on the pleasure scale is maybe kind of sorta above them, fuck it. They that's hate the only thing she, I think that's the only reason she tolerates them is that she knows it makes me I don't know. Well, you know, she should talk to my wife. I, I think well. it's because they My wife hates Jason breathing. You have to fly to Guatemala, so Oh shit! Oh, yeah. She's in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> oh dear lord! I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. All right, so let's do this. Let's do it. Hey, everybody! Very special edition of Eleven O'clock Comics. Picking up the numbering from the last one, it would be three hundred and fifty-six. Very special because it's Thursday. <laughs> yeah, really. Seven years. And, in nine I know. Episodes. Three fifty six, and I am Vince B. Hello there. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed, you are. And straight from the Mignola verse, I'm Sledgehammer forty four. Oh, why don't you just tip your hand? I thought there. you were gonna be a little sweet. It's true. We're having Mike Mignola on tonight. <laughs> no, you're not Sledgehammer forty four. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Hey. Yes, I'm not even gonna do a segue because we're in a kind of a hurry. Yeah. If you want cheap comics, go to DCB Service. That's DCBService.com, discount comic book service, because you can get your books damn cheap, as they say in the in the trades, from Valiant, Bloodshot Reborn, written by Mr. Jeff Lemire, art by Miko Swayan. I'm probably not. No, I think that's pretty that. close to being accurate. Good. And Jeff Lemire himself is uh, kicking in a few pages. Our buddy Wando's doing the covers. Along with other people, cover price is three ninety nine. Your price, dollar ninety nine. From Dark Horse, they're collecting the Ghost Fleet comic that I think David and myself and maybe a little bit of Jason talked about on this here show. You can get it for fourteen ninety nine if you're elsewhere, but if you get through DCB Service, you're only paying seven dollars and forty nine cents. That's half off. Uh, Donnie Cates wrote it, Dan Johnson drew it, and it's a great comic. And from Image, do not forget this one. 
third part in the trilogy. It's the final uh, final road for Luther Strode. My God, I'm talented. It's the legacy of Luther Strode, number one, cover price $3.99. Your price, $1.99, 50% off. They do not mind um, late orders. They do not mind order additions, and they're the best in the business. DCBService.com. Go to them and multiply. Mm. Oh yeah. I'm so happy tonight. I don't know why. <laughs> I can guess why, but I'll save it off there. Nah, no, no, that's ah. no, 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 I mean, no, never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I think it is? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. When we do a Thursday night episode, we, we, we so, we so anticipate the Wednesday that that extra 24 hours makes us long for each other that much more. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good one. I think that's what it is. Speaking yeah. of longing, what are you drinking right now? Who you, who's the you? You! I'm drinking, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of bargain basementing this Schlitz? Uh, episode. No, <laughs> diet right, diet right, pure zero. What the fuck would I add a tab? Wait, wait diet right? <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Diet right. Diet it ain't right. You're zero. God. How about you, David? Uh, well, I didn't have anything with an oak in the title, and I wanted to kind of tie it in together since there was a, a, a great big tree in, mm. in one of our guests' stories. Uh, so I'm going back to the uh, Redwood Creek Merlot. All right, I thought you'd be drinking some kind of bourbon tonight. I, I honestly was, but I I didn't want to – I couldn't drink it on the rocks because it's fucking brick, and I didn't want to go overboard on the bourbon. Is she a brick and she's drowning slowly or <laughs> – No, because it's fucking cold, bruh. Oh, true that. And I am drinking uh, Sterling Vineyards Anniversary Blend from 2011. It's a uh, red varietal. And uh, it's exceptional. We've had some sterling before. Mm-hmm. This is new, and I have I have a sneaking suspicion that when my wife comes home from the dinner that she's at and sees that I'm going to consume the entire bottle tonight, she's going to be upset because I think this is one she was saving for a special occasion. Well, this is a special. It occasion. is. It just, it just doesn't, doesn't involve, involve her. her. Yeah, that's right. Wow, <laughs> little socialite. I picked. I was at my. Uh, you know, I was at my oldest uh, hoops game, and we were driving home, and he's like. Wait, mom's not home again tonight? I'm like, no, no. I'm like, she's, uh, she's got that dinner thing. He's like, she's been out every single night this week. I'm like, I know, social butterfly. Must be nice living that debutante life. Time to buy some more comics. For reals. <laughs> yeah. Time to buy some more art since the art I just bought got ripped to shreds. Uh, we don't want to talk about that, do we? <laughs> no, we might talk about that with our guests, see what he thinks of it. That was painful. Yeah. It is hurtful. So should we bring him in? Or her? We should. We should. Or That's her. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, we already told us one of this chap, yep, so they know it's a he. <laughs> uh, if it's her, chef, I better be yeah. fucking Anne the Santa. Poor Eric Figueroa is going to be so bummed when he finds it's not chap, yep. <laughs> David, it's such a pig mouth this episode. Oh, hello. Welcome, everybody, and uh, as we alluded on the social media this, uh, this last 24 hours, we do have a, a special guest in the fourth chair tonight. And uh, you, you all made guesses, and most of you, in fact, all of you were dead wrong. Uh, apologies to uh, those of you who thought it was uh, Chap Yap. Maybe, maybe another <laughs> another episode. But uh, but no, our our guest tonight. We're doing something a little different this evening. Um, our guest is actually a uh, more of a media guest. 
Uh, best known for uh, playing the role of Weebay on The Wire. Um, but but otherwise known uh, as the co-creator of the phenomenal uh, image series Southern Bastards. Uh, and also currently helming and co-creating the, probably it's fair to say, the most anticipated new character launch in Marvel in about uh, 15 years. Spider-Gwen. Straight out of North Kakalaka, I am, of course, talking about our guest tonight, Mr. Jason Latour. Welcome, sir. Hey, how's it going? It's going <laughs> very well. Thanks. It's great to have you on, man. It's uh, We've had the pleasure of, of knowing you and your work for a bunch of years now, and uh, we uh, we had your Southern Bastards cohort, another member of the Nation of Jasons, on a few months ago, so it's great to uh, have you on finally. Well, I'm hanging up now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm second. I told you that. I, I say, I, say yeah, but say if it makes you feel any better, I asked you to come on the show before I asked him. I don't believe that, but all right, it does make <laughs> it does make me feel better. So I guess mission mission accomplished. Well, I, I was talking to Scotty Young today, and he said he said we shouldn't have you on. So you can take issue with him the next time you see him. <sighs> I'm like hey, the Rodney, a- Dan- I'm Rodney Dangerfield already. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, you know, it's, it's really good to have you on. And, uh, the timing works perfectly because you, uh, you've, you've got, uh, you've got a little bit of a much anticipated book hitting the shelves here. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, huh? <laughs> it is yeah. pretty nuts. Yeah, one week. Oh, cannot wait. I'm not, I, the, um, do you know if, um, if, if this limited edition vinyl will be available outside of this signing you'll be, uh, attending next week? I don't know. I um, hope so. I'm not going to be able to make it. So I really hope it will be. Oh, or you could save me one and I'll get it from you in Heroes. Oh yeah, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> if I know Shelton Drum who's putting on the, the signing, uh, he's, uh, he'll probably stow away a box for later. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's pretty savvy that way. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I don't know. That's, uh, that's really like, his thing, you know, this okay. is his, this is his baby. Um, I'm his next door neighbor, so I'm just sort of. Oh, for you real? Know. You actually <laughs> live next door to Shelton? There's a little, yeah, there's a, there's one house b- between us. That's so awesome. It's that's just crazy. easier to say I'm his next door neighbor. Huh. <laughs> that's pretty um, awesome. Yeah. And I've been shopping at his store since I was <laughs> like eight years old or something, so. Well, uh, so let's dive into that. So you, you, uh, you, are you North Carolina born and bred? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, <clears throat> after college, I moved around a lot. Uh, but I've been back. I'm 30. How old am I? <laughs> I'm 37, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm 37 and I moved back when I was 32. Oh, okay. 32. So yeah. I've been back about five years. Okay. I love the piece that you did uh, for the Southern Bastards uh, trade, where how you know uh, you got pissed at the South for a while, and then you you, you went up north and eventually made your way back. That, that's a great little piece. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I really. I, I lived in New York for about two years, and I really loved it. But um, it just well, at the at the time it wasn't. Um, just was a little too prohibitive for my, what I wanted to do with my, my career, my life, you know? Right. Um, but it was, I went to like a regular person college. Uh, you went to East Carolina, had, right? Yeah. I went to a beer drinking college. 
Yeah. Uh, I went to uh, ECU and then I went and did a year later, you know, a couple years later, I did another year and a half or so at University of Florida. And those were both really just sort of lost <laughs> periods in a lot of ways. But uh, so I consider New York to kind of be my art school. Okay. Um, I mean, so I was art. art. Did you study art in college? Uh, not really. No, I, okay. I minored in it. I took like three classes just to graduate. Uh, I mean, I've drawn my whole life and I've been interested in it my whole life. But <clears throat> and I feel like I was pretty solid when I moved to New York. I, I, when I moved to New York, I thought I was a lot better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it being there and being broke really uh, opened my eyes a lot uh, and taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. That, that's a tangent. <laughs> no, well, listen, I, I mean, one of the I things I think... It, uh, no, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is I think one of the one of the awesome things about getting to know you in the last few years is that uh, you keep it real. Like, you you uh, you have maintained, you know, some measure of blog slash social media presence, and every now and then you'll kind of pen, pen a missive that uh, seems to get, uh, you know, run because you, you just kind of lay down some truth. And, uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the candor that you share both about your personal life. I mean, probably most recently would be the piece you wrote about your, uh, you know, your Super Bowl experience from back in the day. Yeah. But, but I mean, but also you've, you know, you, I know a few years ago, I think we, we saw you at Baltimore and, uh, at Baltimore Con and you had just written a piece either before or after that about kind of like, um, and I'm paraphrasing here because I didn't reread it, but, but you kind of wrote a piece to aspiring creators saying, listen, man, you know, it's, it, cons are fun and I have a blast, but, but, you know, if you really want to find your place in this business, you, you, you know, you got to put your hustle on. You got to be at a con and take yourself seriously and network and, 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 and make friends and, 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 you know, prove, prove your worth. And, you know, you've done that a couple of times over the years where you kind of just drop science. Like you, you, I think we were talking today in anticipation of you coming on about a piece you wrote a few years back where you, uh, you know, at the time, I think you were a little frustrated about the, the dichotomy between the perceived value of, uh, of the words of a comic and the, and the art. And, uh, you know, I think you've since said that, that you feel like the industry is in a bit of a better place now, but, but yeah, I mean, I just think one of the things that I like is that you, uh, you keep it real, you know, which is, uh, it's refreshing. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, you, the only thing I can really, the only credit I can take <laughs> or, you know, pat myself on the back for that is just that like, I just try to remind myself that like, I didn't get into this to really get rich, you know, um, <clears throat> like this is like my lifestyle as much as it is my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, you gotta do things to pay the bills and you have to, you know, life is about compromises in a lot of ways. But I think like as long as you know, like why you're doing something, you, you know, you're gonna be a lot better off in the long run. So sometimes I try not to get up on my soapbox because I don't really <laughs> think, that, I don't really think that I'm right about, uh, stuff when I, when I write these things, like I just try to keep them, I try to keep them, I try to keep there, try to keep the, some sort of gray area, you know, because um, I think that like everybody's experience is different and everybody is going to have, uh, you know, their own, they have to, somebody, I've said this before, but somebody said the other day that, you know, breaking into comics or being in comics is like breaking out of jail, <laughs> where like once somebody does it, they immediately patch the hole up. so but that doesn't mean that like people who've been before you or come after you uh don't have things that you can learn from you know 
And I was like really fortunate growing up that I knew a lot of comic pros from a really young age and they really, um, I didn't listen to half the shit they tried to tell me. <laughs> uh, some of the stuff, granted some of the stuff that they would say, you know, didn't, doesn't really, isn't really applicable to my own life and never was, but like I was fortunate that they opened up to me, you know, and allowed me to sort of get a peek behind the curtain from the time I was like, you know, 12. So, uh, I feel like giving back to the, the art form and the business that you, you know, chosen to spend your time in is, is sort of important. Um, but I also feel like it's a responsibility that you can't do too cavalierly, you know, like you can't, I don't, the last thing in the world I want to do is try and like, encourage some sort of like weird school, <laughs> you know, like I, I want people to take the things that I write and think for themselves and, you know, like uh, disagree with me and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. One of your pieces of uh, social media that, that got me today was the, the Facebook thing that you put up about when you're holding your grandmother's hand. Oh, thanks. I, I got the feels. Oh. I was like, this guy has heart. Um, but, but back to what you were talking about the comic industry. I think we're seeing the rise of like a, I don't want to say a new breed of creator, but there, there's a bunch of people now that are straddling both sides of the fence. The guys that are working, you know, mainstream Marvel or DC and they're kicking out stuff for image. And that's, that has a, to me anyway, from what I can see, that's even making the talent pool smaller. Oh, you think it's making be, be, it smaller? Yeah, because you're getting guys that are killing it, like yourself, at Marvel, and you're also knocking people dead at Image, so the opportunities for someone to come up are even more limited because you're essentially taking up, like, two slots when you think about it. Maybe. It's a diverse a diversity that we, we haven't seen up until, like, this recent rise of Image. They used to keep it simple. Guys would either work for the big two or they'd try and, you know, do the indie thing. But now you got people like yourself that are doing both of it. Well, I'm very fortunate in the sense that um, I live in a time where there are some options. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a lot of the um, – I try not to, like, go off on this a lot, but I think a lot of the frustrations of, like – and the divide that came between, like, people doing creator-owned books and doing work for hire – in the past came from the fact that um, if you had something that you wanted to say that was outside of the mainstream, I think a lot of the times people would become bitter or really angry at the fact that like it was basically impossible to make a living for a long time. Right, right, right. Um, yep. We live in a different era now where, uh, you know, people are making more money in some cases off of their creator own work than they, than they have been working for Marvel or DC. But the two things are still sort of, <clears throat> they're very, um, they're very related still. They have a very reflexive relationship, you know? Um, right. Uh, there's not a lot of, cre cre I mean, I'm, I will willingly admit this. There's, you know, Southern Bastards doesn't really make us, you know, sustain itself if Jason Aaron and to a lesser degree myself hadn't sort of put in the hours. Um, building a name in the mainstream first, you know? Right, sure. Yeah. Every now and then you'll see a, 
Uh, I lost you somehow. Somebody tried to okay. face. Somebody tried to FaceTime me. <laughs> oh, it's probably Jason. <laughs> don't, oh, don't let me talk to him later. <laughs> Sorry about that. No. It was probably a butt dial FaceTime. Nice. <laughs> that happens a lot. I think that happens more than uh, than than real FaceTime calls. Yes. <laughs> yep. uh, so, so you put a lot of stock in in. Uh, uh, Kirkman's manifesto. Remember when he, uh, said, you know, make your name at the, at the big two and then bring it, uh, to your own stuff and you'll, you'll do better. And that's what we're seeing happening today, right? Philosophically, I think I would, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think it's that reductive. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of it, you know, has to do with like, what do you do once you break away to do a creator owned book? You know, mm-hmm. uh, people mm-hmm. don't want to see creator owned, uh, projects just for the sake of creator own projects. I don't think, I think if you set forth to sort of do your own book, like, you know, you, you have to deliver in the same way that you would deliver any story. Um, yeah, and so, I think even more so really, right. Cause there, there still is for, and, and, you know, we, as you probably know from at least getting to know us a little bit, you know, we, we read the, we read the gamut of stuff, but I, but, but that being said, uh, you know, there's still a huge chunk of the, of the world that, that, you know, we'll, we'll stick with a, a big two book because there's a history there, even when they're not loving the book. Whereas, you know, a creator owned book has to be pretty much killer from start to finish for people to, to, to give it a try and then stay with it. So. Yeah. That used to drive me nuts. <laughs> I mean, I, but I've been that guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I actually was thinking about it the other day. I was, it was Michael Jordan's birthday and I, and I grew up like the biggest like Chicago Bulls fan in the world, even though I lived in Charlotte. And I, and knowing him as that he's a human being now, now that I'm in my late thirties, like the bloom is off the rose a little bit. Sure. But every time I see a Chicago Bulls logo, I'm like, oh man, like I just, like I get carried back. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that happens with people reading comics is that, but to it, but it's even crueler because like the potential for like, Jordan, the lace of sneakers back up again happens every time you pick up the book, you know, even if it's been terrible for, you know, years and decades or whatever, you're always sort of chasing that high. Um, oh, definitely. And, and they, and occasionally when it does drift back into quality, it, we, it feels you almost euphoric. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's just sort of the game. I mean, not, not necessarily the game, but it's just sort of the nature of the beast. Yeah. And I just made a really, T- like terrible basketball analogy, <laughs> which is Sorry probably lost, lost on my two. It's lost yeah. on my co-hosts because they they're, they're not very. Well, I figure if you don't know who Michael Jordan is at this day and age, like you don't know who Jesus Christ is either. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> I don't think I know who that is, but <laughs> well, you just, isn't that... you've got two atheists and a, and a Jew on the line, so I don't know we know much about Jesus Christ, but <laughs> well, you, know, you know the guy. Well, you know the the name is what I meant. I'm kidding. Sure, yeah. sure. We know that we know the legend. But uh, isn't that what Marvel is banking on for Secret Wars? That that same uh, um, I don't know. Chasing the uh, the the dragon with the you know the old stuff. We love it so much, and we're we're hoping that they kind of repeat that with with this new series. Uh, I don't you know I don't know. I think like the, my experience with Marvel in particular like has been I've been really surprised at given given the corporate structure of it. You know, like how how. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm very surprised at how freewheeling, freewheeling it is, you know, like how open to like changing stuff it's, it's been. Um, I mean, our book is a prime example of that. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, like this is a thing that like people kind of voted into existence with their, with their wallets and their love for it. And a lot of companies would have sort of <clears throat> in, in any business would have been too slow to move on that, you know? Definitely. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you as soon as Spider Gwen was mentioned. I want to know the story. What 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 was the genesis of Spider Gwen? Because it seemed to come out of nowhere. And it, <laughs> well, it and, did and it's, come out of nowhere. Well, <laughs> no, but it's true. It, it struck like lightning. Yeah, I was going to say to, to your point, Vincent. And, and you know, Jason, you say that the audience kind of made it happen. I, I agree with that, but I think it's more than that. Like, again, we you know we go to a lot of cons. Uh, you know, we we're, we collect a lot. Of, well, I, you know, we're into the art scene. I've never seen a character be created in a, you know, what was a one shot, which is Edge of Spider-Verse number two, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yes. And, um, yeah. and then like, it's, 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 uh, it's, it, I think that and, and the, the new, the new Batgirl, you know, it seems like both of those characters, and again, I don't know if it's because it's a, a female or, an, but, but I mean, there was, it seemed like every artist in the business was clamoring to do a pinup, their own version, DVNR, you know, contribute yeah. variant cover. I mean, it just, it, it was like, it was, you know, as I said in your intro, I don't remember the last time a Marvel character that was created anew had this much interest uh, so universally. I mean, I think you'd have to go back to, like, Cable and Deadpool and that whole crew. I really do think you have to go that far back. Hmm. Uh, you know, like, I I have, like, secret theories. <laughs> no, I mean, I have, I have, you know, thoughts on why some of this stuff has happened. But all those thoughts you know, or by virtue of like having hindsight on it, you know, mm -hmm. um, all I know is that in the moment, like the chronology of it was basically that like Nick Lowe called me one day and asked me if I was free, you know, and at the for time our, was, for our listeners, he's an editor. Just yeah. So Nick Lowe, he's the editor on, on spider Gwen and Sp the, in charge of the entire Spider-Man office. And he had just moved over from X-Men to Spider-Man, the Spider-Man office. And he was who hired me to do Wolverine and the X-Men. And he, unfortunately, like, well, unfortunately for me, shifted offices before we ever got to work together on mm -hmm. that book. Um, and he moved over to the Spider-Man office and he called me one day and said, uh, you know, are you like, I know you're drawing Southern Bastards and you're writing X-Men, like, do you have any time to do anything else? And I, I think he was, he was more curious about doing ongoings. And I just unfortunately had to tell him like for once in my life, I had the, <laughs> I knew not to put myself through the ringer. And I said, no, nah, I'm just a little too busy. So he instantly threw out the, this idea to do that. They were doing spider verse and they were going to have all these <clears throat> um, alternate versions of Peter Parker. You know, and I could cre maybe even create one. So <laughs> the first thing I asked him about was, oh, I said, can I create my own? And I said, could I do Spider-Ham? <laughs> 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 and uh, uh, I think those were the Spider-Ham was already off the table. So I, he said, you could create your own. And so the first thing I pitched him was um, uh, this uh, take on Uncle Ben and Spider and Peter Parker together. As both as Spider-Man and like they've released that art and everything. Um, and unfortunately, like they already had plans for Uncle Ben or fortunately for me, they already had plans for Uncle Ben. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so like we're on the phone and Nick is like, he loved the idea and he loved the pitch and he said, you know, but I like I have, I can't, we can't do it. Um, 
and he said, you know, put some thought into something else because you're really on the right track. Um, and he just happened to say, like, here's, you know, there's a little list of, like, uh, just things that Dan Slott had, like, jotted off on the side, you know, like characters that would be. And one of them was just, uh, like, a Spider-Man version of or a Spider-Woman uh, Gwen Stacy. And we, that was the one that we, we, we kind of, like, got stuck talking about. Because, like, to me, that, like, like for some reason, the, the flag, you know, the spider sense went off or whatever. And I just thought, like, having been raised, I'm for, we're probably all around the same age. I'm, um, but when I was a kid, you know, there were two characters you didn't touch. Or three. There was Uncle Ben. Uh, Bucky. Bucky Barnes. And Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe because I had written Winter Soldier and had gone through that whole experience and it was so good. That like that is maybe sort of sort of what made me to like think like well that doesn't mean it's off limits, um, <clears throat> but also even though that was the one that piqued my curiosity like it was also the one that I was just like this could go really badly, <laughs> uh, and if you know anything about me like I <clears throat> I tend to sort of like take take chances or at least I try to take chances. And so I told Nick, I was like, that's the one I'm kind of interested in. Let me think about it. Even though I was pretty nervous about the, the possibilities of it. And I went back and I started to think about Gwen Stacy. And I thought like, she's just largely to me been a plot point, you know, my whole life. Like I didn't know who the character was. All I knew was that like her basic existence had only served to like sort of give Peter Parker something new to be sad about. <laughs> You know, and I don't mean to be dismissive of people that like the old version of Gwen Stacy, but that's just the way that it existed in my head, you know, like as a kid who read Spider-Man in the 80s and early 90s. Um, And it just really seemed to me like, you know, in a modern era where, like, I think one of the coolest things about this, like, resurgence of, like, having uh, new women as superheroes is that, like, We've seen, like, white male empowerment, like, again and again and again. And I don't think the power of, like, the superhero myths has really diminished. I just think that the window into it has become, like, really dusty and stale in a lot of cases. Uh, and I think when you <clears throat> introduce the idea of it being a woman, like, all those old tropes suddenly, like, all, like, gain new meanings. Um, so between those two things... You know, I laid down and I thought about it. <laughs> I actually went to sleep on it. And I woke up the next morning literally like with like the whole, this whole idea of her being in a band and having like her father involved and it um and I just knew that I wanted Robbie and Rico like involved because mm-hmm. I've known Robbie for like 10 years uh and we'd had like all these other projects that we tried to do together that had kind of fallen by the wayside. And I just knew like I just have this gut feeling that like this was the thing for him, you know, like that he, and I kind of also had the benefit of knowing that Nick liked Robbie's work. Um, so from there, like I just threw the idea to, to Nick and then he approved Robbie and uh, me and <clears throat> Robbie kind of went off in the corner and started sort of putting the, putting the thing together. Um, and I mean, that's really the long and the short of it. It was sort of, you know, uh, who came up with the hood. Well, I don't want to. About ninety percent of the costume is Robbie. Uh, I kind of art directed him. We kind of bounced it back and forth. Right. The hood actually has like a subtext to it that I don't want to like. I don't want to 
I don't want to play director's commentary with that. Okay. But I think if you think about it and you think about like the scenes in the comic, at least that first appearance. Sure. Uh, I think if you think about some of the interactions she has and the time frame, uh, it'll be pretty clear. Yeah, know? I get you. I get you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, that costume is really stunning, I think. I think that's sort oh, of why people, uh, that had certainly helped, you know? And then, I don't know if you want to call it a zeitgeist or, or just good timing or whatever, but like, you know, I do feel like the fact that we approached it pretty earnestly and pretty organically does help. Um, <clears throat> there's really an abiding love for like the project there from all of everybody that was involved from the start. Like even editorially, you know, like you usually hear <clears throat> people complain about editor, about editorial, like sort of, limiting you and in this case like it was nothing but a help um so i don't know you know like any sort of like credit beyond the actual execution of the thing like it's it's really sort of just dumb luck uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of yeah. like you know 15 year overnight success but i never yeah, exactly right i would never would have thought that um in a million years, I never would have thought that it would, that that one shot would be in like its fourth printing. Oh, I'm waiting for you to be named a young gun. <laughs> <All right. laughs> they can't make name me a young a young gun because I have a white beard. That's, hey, <laughs> it hasn't to, stopped them before, right? I would have to like a uh, Grecian formula my beard. Yeah, <laughs> I think the costume is fascinating because. Um, the design is amazing. It's not. It's. I think it's sexy as hell, yep. but it's. It's not revealing at all. Right, like there's right. no. There's no boob window. Like a power. You know, girl boob window. But you, it just. It. It catches every contour of the body. I think it's. It's an amazing design and very. Very tasteful too. Because if if you're if one of the goals is to you know tell stories empowering women. You're not going to have them running around hanging out all over the place. So the the costume works on a bunch of levels. Well, the big note to Robbie, and this also sort of ties into your hood question. The big thing that I really wanted him to emphasize with the costume design was, like, make it so that, I mean, you know, you guys have read the issue. She's wanted by the police. And I thought, like, you know, in the old Spider-Man stories, like, Spider-Man was, like, when he was presented as a menace, like, he felt creepy. Like, his face was hidden and you would could kind of see like if you didn't know the inside of the story, if you were looking at the story from the outside as like a, you know, if you were the watcher, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you are the watcher. If you're the opposite watch of the watcher, um, if you didn't have the inside track, you know, you could maybe see why somebody would think Spider-Man was a little creepy and maybe why they wouldn't trust him. And so I really wanted her face to be covered and, and to really emphasize, you know, it, that it's not necessarily, a spider character that gender is the driving force behind it. That the, the story and that the character <clears throat> is what matters. Um, and Robbie just nailed it, you know? Yeah, I think so too. So I don't, yeah, no, I don't know. Um, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty thrilled, pretty, pretty beside myself. I think it's a pretty unprecedented I mean, in a lot of ways, it is sort of unprecedented, and I can't, I can't really wrap my head around it. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> you know? great. I mean, I think uh, we, it, it, I mean, full confession, I'm probably the the of the three of us, I'm the one that's least into this the Spider-Man part of the Marvel universe. Oh, no, David no, no, no. probably being the most into it. 
Um, but, but I mean, this was just one of those, like you said, it, I mean, Zeitgeist is probably fair. It's just one of those little moments where it just got everybody excited, whether you, whether you were a hardcore Spider-Man fan or just more of a, of a passive thing. I mean, we all got stoked about it and obviously a lot of other people did. So, I mean, just two, two more questions on, on Spider-Man because we, I think we want to definitely spend a lot of time on Southern Bastards because it's awesome. Um, is, is, you know, I know you mentioned that, um, I think on Twitter or something recently that, You've seen pages from Robbie on issue number three, and it was sort of transcendent, which is awesome. But um, so I know you can't talk about what's going on in Secret Wars, whatever you know. But we had Hickman on a few weeks ago, and we talked a lot about it. And and I guess one of the things I just want to make clear, if you can say, is um, like Spider Gwen, as we're going to see it in the next few months, will continue beyond Secret Wars. I mean, we shouldn't expect that like three issues in. It's like kaput because of what Secret Wars is going to occur, right? I mean, you're you're sort of clear of that. The sales have been so staggering that I would be really shocked if, okay. uh, you know, I'm already planning a second arc, and you know, like it's already gone through approvals. And as far as I know, we would have to take a really sharp U-turn to to, uh, you know, it's the comic book business. Like anything can happen. But as far as I know and as far as we're planning, like, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to be running with this ball for a long time. Um, All right, cool. And then, I, and then another thing is is with Robbie, um, you know, I know, again, I mean, we know, we know Robbie personally. And um, is is he, like, is he able and in, in, in going to be keeping, like, a, a monthly schedule? Or is this going to be more of, like, a every five, six weeks type of thing or to be determined? Well, right now he's pretty far ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, this is... The modern era of comics, so it's really rare that anybody does more than, you know, four or five issues in a right. row. So I suspect at some point that we'll have a fill-in artist, but like, at least for the foreseeable future of it, you know, I think we're all pretty confident that he can handle the bulk of it. I mean, he's already on, done with issue three and number one's not even out. Cool. And if you think about it, we turned this book around really fast because there, because yeah. there was no, there was no plan. To do this book until we went to like a second printing, you know, like literally the phone calls went from like, hey, well, you know, maybe we could bring her back for a one shot to like, hey, you know, maybe a mini series to yeah. within like four <laughs> days going like ongoing, man, <laughs> you know, so um, we were just fortunate that like, you know, one, like the whole the, the whole story sort of came to me pretty quickly. It was a thing I was really interested in and we started started planting seeds for even in that first issue. Um, and two, just, you know, Robbie was, is invested in it and really um, on the same page with Rico in terms of their working relationship. So like, I don't, I don't think there's any, um, any real threat of him dropping off the book for too long, unless he decides that he's, you know, just wants to move on or gets bored sure. or something. Do, um, do, do you, are- are you going to be fleshing out anything that we saw in the first couple of pages in the one shot, or are you just basically picking up either, well, after Spider-Verse or after that issue number two from the, pl- the, the plan long term is to probably address some of that stuff. And, okay. and we even addressed, address it in sort of a, I've already written, I've written the first arc. There's sort of an epilogue issue, the first arc that I'm working on right now. Um, and then the, Third and fourth issues, we sort of address in a roundabout way what happened. Okay. Um, in the future, we may actually see that day, uh, the day Peter Parker oh. died. Yeah. Um, but um, the first issue, P- 
picks up with Gwen coming back from Spider-Verse and sort of like having that wasn't a dream or it wasn't like Dallas, you know, that, that really, <laughs> that's the quote you want from a guy who's writing a book with a teenager in it. Cause it wasn't like Dallas. It wasn't like Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're on point. <laughs> was the shower. You, you get your finger right. on the pulse of pop culture. That's it. Yeah, right. Um, so then it is a great jumping on point that you don't have to have read the Spider-Verse miniseries. You don't have to have read the event. You can, you pick don't up have Spider-Man. to, you just need to know that it happened. You okay. Know, like you just, and, and we even address like pretty, like, you know, cliff notes, three lines, sort of like this is where she's been. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so it picks up with her sort of coming back from, uh, the events of that. She's been gone a couple weeks and, um, it's sort of about Gwen Stacy being inspired by being around other spider folks and realizing that like, this sort of like black mark on her name, like being this wanted, uh, you know, this wanted criminal, like she has to do something to change that. But the cost of that is like, you know, can she be both Gwen Stacy and spider woman at the same time? Because, you know, she drops a pretty big bomb on her dad there at the end of the one shot. And she also sort of dropped a bomb on her bandmates and her other, the rest of her personal life by like not showing up for, you know, something that was very important to them. Um, and, you know, you'll also have a couple new threats. Uh, there's sort of uh, our sort of evil daredevil, <laughs> our evil Matt Murdock, who's sort of li- lurking in the shadows. I say evil in quotation marks. He's already um, a lawyer, so, I mean. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, her father's new status quo, like how can he chase his own daughter? Uh, will be sort of doubled down on because there's a, there's a new version of Frank Castle. Oh, um, nice. And, and, um, <laughs> I don't want to get too Thank much into that, but there's a new version of Frank Castle. And, Thank you. And there's, oh. uh, 11 o'clock was right here just across the board for me. <laughs> <laughs> Done. And there's a couple, like, you know, there's a new take on the, a sort of new take on the vulture, uh, that's, that's cropped up in the first arc. So, um, it's just funny whenever I like outline this and I say there's three potential villains in the first arc, I always feel like I'm telling people about one of those bad superhero movies that has like 10 villains. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, where they pour <laughs> venom into it. Yeah. yeah. But I promise you that like we take our time with it and it's really, org- it's pretty organic and, uh, I think it's a lot of, I think I'm pretty proud of how it's coming out and the people nice. that have read it behind the scenes seem really excited about it. So I hope that it, I don't know that it can live up to the, the, the expectations, but I hope that it at least, you know, doesn't we'll fall sure. flat. Are, are you more psyched or excited about this than you were, um, relaunching Wolverine and the X-Men? Well, only because like this doesn't happen. Okay. You know, like this is kind of, this is like the kind of thing where, you know, how often do you get to, do a Marvel book that people want where you get to sort of create the world, you know, like pretty uh, rare. Your, your enthusiasm is, is coming through. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> good. Not, it's just, yeah, no, definitely. I'm so excited about it that it's hard to even be nervous. You well, know, that's cool. Uh, that's kind of a new, a new thing for me. I was really excited about Wolverine and the X-Men, but like, I do think like if I'm being honest, because it was my first, uh, ongoing, like it was a little nerve wracking in a sense that like whenever you, Start as a, I've gotten to the point as an artist where like, I just do what I do. You know, like I don't really get nervous, like when I draw a comic. 
Um, and as a writer, like when you're trying to prove yourself as a writer, like there's a lot of times when pretty early on, like it's stressful because it's a little bit more like being the quarterback. Um, another sports analogy, <laughs> but just that, like when everything goes well, you get all the credit when everything goes bad, people want to, you know, burn you an effigy. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you're always a little more conscientious to the fact that like, uh, you might not get another chance to like helm one of these characters. Right. And if you love them and you, and you, you know, do feel like you have something to say with them, that matters a little bit, you know? For sure. Um, sometimes so, it matters a whole lot. Uh, so with this, like, because it kind of blew up out of a one shot, like, and people have already sort of voted for it, you know, like, I think that just like, Makes it real. Yeah. I mean, they were cosplay Spider-Gwens at New York yeah. Comic Con, which was... Like, the like issue was like two weeks old. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Tumblr is just sick with them. Oh, <laughs> like, I love it's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah your yeah, Tumblr's is great, by the way. You do a nice so, job. Thank you. It is. Yeah. Uh, um, so then, the uh, you say Wolverine and the X-Men was, was like your first ongoing. So refresh my memory then. Where, was the writing on the wall with, with Winter Soldier when you took that over after Ed, or...? <sighs> Um, I don't know what the behind the scenes, like macroeconomics of that were, but I feel like in some ways that was uh, like already sort of slated to end before I ever took it over. Okay. Um, you was know, it, and it's to you as like a tryout book then, like in the sense that like, Hey, let's see what you got. I mean, don't worry about the sales. Like just, I think there was, I don't think it was a trial book as much as there was a real narrow window. I think when I okay. took it over, they knew they were going to keep it alive for a little bit and they sort of felt like, well, you know, if, if Ed leaves in that first issue, like, you know, somehow the sales go up, you know, which was like pretty impossible. But if somehow they did, you know, they wouldn't have canceled it. Um, it was a real tight spot to sort of work my way into, but I really loved it. I really liked that challenge. And I liked following Jason on Wolverine, the X-Men too. Um, right. you know, it's just nice with Spider-Gwen to like do something where you're not following anybody. Sure. You know, um, and like you said, it's a rare opportunity because while Marvel is not NDC, I mean, while they create plenty of, of new characters all the time, I mean, the simple economics of the market are that generally these characters are kind of forced to the periphery. Yeah. Rarely do they become big enough to carry their own universes and worlds for long. And, uh, and again, I mean, obviously we don't want to put the cart before the horse here. Um, but, but, but certainly there's a, uh, a rare opportunity here to, uh, no pressure. To, uh, to kind of craft your own world. I mean, it really is yeah, kind of sure. exciting. Well, and, you know, the other thing is, like, as far as all that goes, is that that's just sort of the game. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just sort of how it works. You know, like, you're barely going to walk in the in the front office at any job and suddenly just get to do whatever you want. Like, if you're lucky, as much as I say, like, those, those things were, it was hard to follow a Jason Aaron or Ed Brubaker. Like, if you're lucky and if you you know, you get that opportunity. Like you're lucky you are following great people. Um, because Ted McGinley made a, a career out of it. So, right. <laughs> I don't know who Ted McGinley is. Oh, you would. He's, you do. You he's an actor that was like, he was the guy that happy days married with children. Replaced Richie on happy days. Oh, okay. uh, he replaced, uh, the, the husband on married with children. Yeah. This, 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 Oh yeah. Okay. I know who that is. He replaced <laughs> the dude on love boat. He was the new guy on love boat at the end. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, this podcast for the kids. That's it. <laughs> we keep it old school. Yeah. Happy days and yeah. married with children reference. So you brought up Dallas, bro. <laughs> I did. It's true. So before we jump into into the image stuff, um, I, I I have to say, so um, you know, I am uh, I, probably again 
as much as my co-hosts are Spider-Man fans, uh, I'm a Wolverine guy. Uh, always been one of my favorite characters. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, yeah, no, right. I think we talked about that at Heroes when you were kind of just getting going on Wolverine and the X-Men. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need to talk out of school or anything, but, but, um, you know, it, it ran 12 issues. And so I have just a, a, a couple things I'd love to hear your thoughts on. First of all, um, Again, Mahmoud is is one of our our favorite people in the industry, and and yeah, I he's a really sweet guy, man. Awesome. He's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, another not so young, young guy. but um, yeah. but but you know, so he 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 was your artist at first uh, on it, and then he left, and and it's it seemed like you had a a, a a wide variety of 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 illustrators on the book after Mahmoud left, and like including several on each issue. Now, mm-hmm. issues 10 and 11, I think that was by design, I'm guessing, because it was more... Yeah, about, that was definitely by design. Yeah. But but I guess my... I mean, so so this is not necessarily a Wolverine and the X-Men question, but just as a creator who writes and... and, and um, do you find, like, that situation daunting in the sense that, you know, you're essentially writing a story where you, you have multiple artists doing the book and, and the artists are kind of rotating on and off? I mean, I, I would imagine in an ideal world... You'd have more of a symbiotic relationship where you you can kind of work the story collaboratively with an artist's strengths, and then obviously it seemed to me in the second half of Wolverine the X Men that was not possible because of how many artists were involved. Well, without going too like talking too yeah. like inside baseball about all right. of it, that that's that book was from the start kind of jinxed in a lot of ways in the sense that it just fell into a bad like the timing ended up being bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the, I had no, I was like chomping at the bit to follow Jason. Like I knew what I wanted yeah. to do, but, uh, there was just this sort of domino effect that happened when, uh, Wacker moved on to, uh, the animation to Marvel animation. That was sort of an unseen thing on one okay. hand. You had that happen where suddenly like Nick shifts, Nick Lowe shifts from Wolverine, the X-Men to Spider-Man and Mike Martz, uh, has to come over and take over, you know, this sort of Hydra that is X-Men, like, overnight, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so editorially, like, if you look at the books, like, there's, you know, I had five editors. <laughs> oh, but wow. you also have uh, uh, The Death of Wolverine yeah, that, yeah. that kind of came out of nowhere as far as I was concerned. Like, I, I, I knew that there was, that it was rumbling in the background, but I didn't, but I didn't know when I took over the book. So the first arc ends up getting compressed from, you know, eight or nine issues down to five or six. Um, and then, uh, you have some, some other parts move where, you know, uh, my mood ends up going over to work with Bendis. So at the time that, uh, that shift occurred, you know, we had a lot of fill-ins and I don't think that that was, particularly like the way anybody wanted to work, like any way, any way down the line, you know? Yeah. Um, editorial was sort of overtaxed. Uh, for me, it was kind of stressful um, because it was hard to get a rhythm. Um, and for the artists, it was the same thing because you can't tell this long form narrative like that. And <clears throat> at least one that was, that I wanted to be ambitious and, have guys come in at the last minute, you know, and the, who haven't been reading the book and are on deadlines and all that sort of stuff. So the broader question is like to answer the broader question. I think if you read those last two issues, they're sort of the the follow up to Wolf, Death of Wolverine. I'm really proud of those, but they're like jam issues. I'm pretty proud of those issues because I think the large 
by and large, those stories, each one of those little segments was crafted for the people that drew them, like 80% of those, you know. So I think they're a little more successful. Um, so, you know, juggling artists is not a thing that I'm totally against. Uh, I just think that, you know, ideally you do want to work with somebody and sort of build a, right. a synergy there, you know. Oh, I just used the word synergy. <laughs> 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 you want to, you know, you want to build a, a rapport there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and no, I mean, you, you just hit on it. I was going to say to you that, that, uh, that for what it's worth, whatever my opinion matters, but, but, uh, but I thought 10 and 11 of, of the series, which were, you know, uh, the eulogy that kind of postscript to Death of Wolverine that you got to do were, um, and again, I don't want to put anyone else on blast and, or, but, but I've, I've been on record on our show. I, I, I was not a fan of Death of Wolverine as it was done. And again, that's just my personal opinion. I'm not, I don't need you to speak on that, but I will tell you that 10 and 11 eulogy in your book were far and away like the palate cleanser to the actual event. Like as a longtime Wolverine fan who had to accept not only that Wolverine is getting quote unquote killed, but also in the way he was killed and the way that series was handled itself. I thought 10 and 11 were awesome. And like you said, it was, yeah, I mean, you, you wrote sort of the eulogy and for, for those listeners that haven't read it, I mean, you basically, um, had a a bunch of, a ton of great artists, including Robbie, um, but Farrell Delrymple and, uh, and Ben Caldwell and, and all sorts of, um, actually, uh, you had, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Ariella Chris, who I actually met at Baltimore the same year I met you. Um, she, like, you, it was just great. And each, it was almost like a, like an anthology in the sense you just kind of little few multi-page vignettes in each of their distinct styles. And it was, it was, uh, I thought it was cool that you, 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 you brought Melita back who was Jason. Jay, I think Jason created her. I, yeah, I he did. Probably, yeah, he did. Who yeah. was like, you know, a, a non, she was Wolverine's girlfriend. And I think, um, she was in a, one of the best issues ever, I think, of Wolverine was when Jason did that one shot. It was a one shot issue where within Wolverine, where he, uh, she threw him that birthday party, the surprise birthday party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you brought her back to kind of, she's writing a book about Wolverine's life, Logan's life. And, yeah. And, yeah, I was, I, and, and so in the eulogy though, I thought it was so cool the way you, we took each of the characters that are in Wolverine, the X-Men and had them share a different perspective about him. Um, and like there was just, you know, some of it was sentimental, like Nightcrawler, you know, taking her to the bar where they always had great times. But then there were like moments where like, you know, Iceman shows up and all he's doing is talking about what a, what a dick Wolverine was and laughing about it. Like, you know, they show the scene that dude, you had me on the floor when you had him singing REM, everybody hurts at the bar. It's like, really? I mean, I Carolina coming out on you, right? I mean, it's not, but, uh, so, well, yes, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I had to write those issues as if, um, as if he was really dying because like right. I knew I was leaving the book, you know, and I also knew like, you know, you never know if you're going to get to write Wolverine again. So those two issues are sort of, uh, I mean, hopefully I'll get to play with him again one day, but like for the foreseeable future, that was sort of like goodbye. Um, and that was really sort of emotional to me because <clears throat> on some level, uh, it happened not long after I'd lost my grandfather um, okay. so there was a lot to access there, <laughs> a lot to purge, but also the fact that I realized like, Hey, you know, like, um, <clears throat> I kind of grew up with this character and sure, like we're all very cynical about the idea that, Oh yeah, he'll be back. Um, and, and whenever people sort of get on that sort of 
tangent, I always like to remind them that, like, if you're looking at all across the board at all other kinds of fiction, the one thing that superheroes does have is that characters can beat death. So why are you always pissed off when they do? <laughs> you know, uh, there's sort of a really nice thing about that. There's something uplifting about that. If you take it in the right way, you don't look at it like, you know, it's just somebody trying to screw you out of your dollar. Um, and I'm not saying that the, the intentions and in killing characters are always altruistic, no more, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. But, um, as a, as a writer or a creator, all you can do is approach it like earnestly. And that's all I really tried to do there. And so I'm glad that, uh, that you liked it because I meant the stuff I said in it, you know, um, or, uh, well, well, again, saying, just, well, yeah, I, I don't want to go down to this rabbit hole, but, 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 uh, you know, I, um, and again, I, I don't want to put you in a tough spot, but, but my review of, uh, Death of Wolverine was that I felt like Charles didn't know the character. And, and again, I have never actually had a conversation with him. So that was just my editorializing of a longtime Wolverine fan. Whereas I felt like with you writing 10, 11, like that was an evidence of, and Remender would have done a great job at it. Like it was, cause I know he loves the character, but it's like that was an evidence of someone who, who likes the character and appreciates the character. So. Well, I shouldn't say it's me speaking on those pages cause it's not. It's, you know, it's the story. It's, the story is, 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 but the story is obviously bent, like based on what I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, so, um, thank you. And, and just before it, just two other things on the book is, so is issue 12, the final issue is, is, is that like post access? Like is Storm supposed to be? I didn't write that issue. Oh, you okay. <laughs> No, that's that Frank Thierry it. wrote that issue. Ah, okay. Um, okay. Like, the book was going to go in a different direction, um, uh, and, you know, behind the scenes, we all just sort of decided that uh, it was probably best that I felt, I felt like I was done. Cool. Um, okay, okay. You know, I had a I had an idea for a Quentin Quire Storm Axis issue that would have uh, taken the book in a new direction and <clears throat> when we sort of decided that that wasn't going to happen i you know i decided my story was over okay so, perfect okay yeah. and then uh and then was it your idea from the jump to sort of consummate wolverine and aurora's relationship in that i guess it was a <laughs> yeah it was yeah yeah well you know i'm a fan of that relationship i and i always felt like um it's one of vince's you know, favorite characters like if he's going to pass away you know if he he knows his death is probably right around the corner now, obviously, he didn't know he was going to die, but he's not an idiot. You know, he looks in the mirror and he knows he's getting longer in the tooth or, you know, <laughs> the bruises aren't healing. I just felt like, you know, Jason Aaron did such a great job on his run in particular of sort of fleshing out the character and having him become more than, for for once, really becoming more than just a killer. And I felt like, uh, you know, the thing that he's been hung up on for so long is Jean Grey. Um and it doesn't mean that he doesn't still have a thing for her. It just meant like, you know, I just felt like if there's something positive to sort of take away from killing the character, maybe the idea that they got to spend a little time together and finally realize. For a year, that, man. What's that? They get the bang yeah, for yeah, a year. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's really like, you know, they had a, they were basically married for a year there. Um, <clears throat> and I felt like if we were going to kill the character, like we should give him some good moments too, you know, give him some things that, and good moments for the people in his life. Um, cause I love, you know, Berserker, like kill everybody out for, for fucking vengeance Wolverine as much as anybody. But the story really changed and became, you know, once I accepted the conditions, which were that like, this isn't the Wolverine I grew up with. It just, it became a story more or less about mortality. Um, uh, at least that was what I was trying, you know, trying to tell. Um, so that's, that's sort of where that all came from.
Cool. Well, well done, man. Under especially under the circumstances, uh, given that you had sort of back to back events to deal with, I, I appreciated the effort. Thanks, man. You want to talk about some southern bastards? Hell yeah. <laughs> so you Hell talk about yeah. Some redneck stick fights. Yeah. <laughs> So we're through. I have been I've been waiting since the first issue to talk with you about the process of Southern Bastards <laughs> because I I don't I absolutely adore your line. Thank you. Uh, in, in my eyes, um, you have the line of a fashion illustrator. Oh, oh yeah, that's a nice compliment. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's not an easy skill to 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 pick up and and. I, I think it hugs the, the shadows right when it has to. You, you ease up on the pressure. I want to know exactly what you use. Like, what is your favorite brush? Oh, you just you... asked me my pet peeve question. Oh, I'm sorry, but I, I, I gotta know. Uh, it's alright. Uh, wait, wait, tell me, why is it, uh, this is funny. So it's your pet peeve, why is that your pet peeve? Because I think the tools are like the least important part of like drawing. Nice. So, well, and by way of it, background, in case you don't know, Vin, David and I are, are, are fans of the medium. Vince is actually an artist by by, oh, cool. by trade. He, he yeah, makes cool. his living that way. So, and I'm not saying tools aren't important. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm right. just saying, like, I think philosophically, like that matters. Your your philosophical approach matters much more than your tools. And I'm like a weird. I have this weird thing where like you can hand me. I think because I approach things from that standpoint first, I probably get the same sort of lines. You know, to a certain degree. Um, Right. I'm I'm really bad with taking care of my tools. <laughs> so I like that. so yeah, so uh things get beat up. Um really like, you know, it's basically like I use a lot of pens and a lot of uh, sort of like faux nibs, these like weird calligraphy things. Right. Um but even if I use a Sharpie or a brush pen or whatever, or even a brush, like it really kind of boils down to like, by and large, the mark making is like about like how many strokes it takes to get that mark. Mm -hmm. Um, so with a fatter tool, you know, it just is faster and it just depends on how I feel, what kind of level of confidence I have that day. Uh, a lot of it, (laughs) a lot of it is my desk is a damn mess. And I just like reach for whatever pen is close mm. <laughs> or whatever feels comfortable, you know. Um, right. Well, if it makes you feel any better, we went 356 episodes and you're the first person I ever asked I, I, about, about the tools. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get that yeah. question a lot, though. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's all right. I think it's a, it's a normal artist question. Do um, you, um, how loose are your layouts? I mean, do you work no, but early in inks? Now that's the thing is that all my work goes into my layouts. Like inking is just like uh, let go and do it, you know. Okay. Um, but layouts is, you know, where I think it lives and dies. Because um, <clears throat> I think that's where the story's told, and that's not saying that like drawing doesn't tell a story. Um, but by and large, like the story's told at the layouts because that's where I go through all the process of thinking through what needs to be in the story. Um, uh, to, to varying degrees, you know, like your illustrative capacity, you know, whatever your facility is with the tool or whatever you decide to emphasize, like drawing wise in a panel definitely does like change the story. Um, but those are decisions you make at the layout stage. Um, you know, does that track? 
It does. Oh, yes. no, absolutely. Yes, no, there, we all have those panels that we drag along with us uh, through life, like uh, just to keep it on topic. Uh, Gwen Stacy's neck being snapped. You know, there's, sure. yeah, there's yeah. those Wolverine in the sewer. Yeah, you know. Right. But I, I got to say, the, the, there's a panel like that in the first issue of Southern Bastard. Oh, thank you. And that is the uh, the panel where young Earl's looking through the screen door. Oh, thanks. I really <clears throat> absolute perfection. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, that was uh, that scene in particular was uh, pretty emotive in terms of like I, you know I had to go back, <laughs> I had to like take myself back to like mentally to my grandma's house, mm-hmm. uh, and I just remember. You know, uh, the screen door on the porch. Uh, and it just felt like that moment that Jason wrote, like that, <clears throat> that would be the perfect sort of vantage point to, to see something at that age, you know. Um, <clears throat> and just the right amount of pressure on the, on the actual screen. Like you can see it, but it doesn't scream out at you. It's just, it's just a, a masterful, masterful panel. Thank you, man. And, uh, one more thing about the, just about the process. Um, you're you're a, a triple threat on Southern Bastards. You pencil, you ink, and you do the color art. And I was uh, especially um, struck by the color. I mean, uh, in in the first issue alone, it's a really narrow focus. Like you have like these these smoky reds, and and there's a peach here or there, and and grays. But for the most part, every color in this book has gray in it. It does. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's it it. It works so well with the tone of the book. Like there, there's no bright spot in the first arc at all, and and I think you emphasize that with the your your color choices. And I just want to say, I, I think that was a it, it's a really smart design. Thanks, man. All around. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah I colored comics uh, like long before, uh, well, not long before, but I didn't get paid to draw a comic until I was in my you know like 30 years old, and that was you know some of that was my fault. Um, because I had opportunities and I just was kind of a head case, but I did a uh, color stuff, um, like under pen name here and there. Uh, part of that was just because like I was so bad about finishing pages that I just needed a, an excuse to finish and to learn to not give a shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and I still like overworked them. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I, I kind of came up. Uh, professionally as a colorist first, I guess. I even I did like, not you, know that. There you go. Yeah, if you go back and look at color, I, under my own name, I colored like some Simpsons comics and, huh. uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird. I have a pretty weird, uh, bibliography. Um, <clears throat> I think the first time I saw you was, uh, you're filling on scalped, I think. I'm pretty sure that's the first time I saw your work. That would have been about the third hire gig, work for hire gig. There you go. Did. See that? I was on the Latour tip early. <laughs> yeah, well, I did a image series called Expatriate that didn't last very long, and we didn't make any money off of it. was like the old old image. Yeah, um, it's a good series, though. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed that. So, yeah, Clay and I did that together, and then I sort of dropped off the map for a couple of years. And <clears throat> when I what was that, Beakley Moore. Yeah, oh, and cool. then the, and then Boy, the next coming back, by the way. Yeah. I think Jake White drew it too, so that should be really cool. cool. Um, and then I, uh, I came back, um, did Noche Roja, which is a graphic novel. Yeah. And actually, you know what? I have to say, I was, when I was boning up this week, cause I knew you were coming on, 
And uh, I read Noche Roja, and and for the life of me until this week, I did not remember that you were the person that drew that. Like I, because uh, yeah. well, uh, and to be honest, um, when all those like Vertigo crime, the, the you know they all those the, the, that same form factor, those like crime or OGNs. Uh, Nochi Raha was the only one that was decent. <laughs> to be honest. Oh. I was, no, I mean, I was, I, I bought them all and I didn't, I, most of them didn't grab me, but, uh, I, but I, I, gone to my head, I would not have known, put your name with that book until I rediscovered it this week. Yeah, that so. one's a little heartbreaking because the print job is kind of, it's so dark and mm-hmm. it really kind of bugs me, but, uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and after that I did, uh, uh this, uh, Daredevil black and white issue and, uh, which I'm really proud of. And then I did a, that scalped issue. And yeah. from there, you know, it was, I'm not going to run through the whole thing. Do, but, do yeah, you have was, like, uh, I mean, since you didn't study art in college and stuff like, like, do you, you know, I mean, some artists are so, I mean, do, do you have like guys that you or, or not guys, but artists, men, women that you were inspired by or like, cause, cause I like, and I, again, I don't want to, I always feel weird kind of offering up who, who different artists remind me of. Cause I don't like, I don't want to, to suggest that I think you're derivative or anything of that. But, <laughs> I don't care. Go but ahead. like, but I, I mean, I think, uh, like I see a lot of like Eduardo Riso in your work. Like I, like that. Same. So there's a, that would be a fair, that's like, he's not a guy I think about, but I definitely, he did unlock some things for me. I did, cool. did like, yeah, I mean, I, cause I'm a huge Riso fan too. So it's, it's, I mean, in the, in the most complimentary way, but yeah, there's a thing about him that is like, uh, you know, people, kind of forget that i mean month in month out that guy was probably you know as far as a monthly comic book artist goes pound for pound like maybe the best guy in the business for a long time there i think because just if you look at the the body of work you know like a guy who could deliver every month at that at that quality level um now granted i mean because he wasn't working on batman or superman or spider-man or something like maybe a lot of people don't think of it that way but uh oh bullets is one of the best man it's one of the yeah, best good stuff yeah um <clears throat> yeah that's a really big compliment thank you there you go yeah um yeah i do have heroes <laughs> i think everybody does um i've said this a lot like I, I got into art through comic books you know so like uh comic books and superhero comics and one of the reasons that i still have interest in those and doing those things is because it sort of unlocked the bigger world of art for me. It sort of, it unlocked music and movies and, you know, actual paintings and that sort of shit. Um, <clears throat> in a way that I don't think anything else would have. Um, so, uh, if I were ever to turn my nose up on that sort of stuff or even if I lose interest in it, you know, like it would be, uh, untruthful to say that it wasn't in my DNA, you know? Um, and I was really fortunate that for some weird reason, my dad, who I've never seen read anything other than this book on sniper rifle. Yeah. On snipers. He kept, uh, <laughs> he kept, um, I just like got my dad on the FBI watch list. That's amazing. No, uh, <laughs> uh, I, um, uh, he kept his comics like from like this weird, like maybe uh, I don't know where they came from. I don't know what year in his life that he bought these comics. And that was the gateway drug. And in that uh, box, there was actually like, I got lucky. There was like a Jack Kirby machine man in there. Mm-hmm. And like, a, and 
and I just, I remember going to the comic shop as a little kid and because of having that Jack Kirby machine man and, uh, there was like an Alex Toth adventure in there and <clears throat> a bunch of random stuff. Uh, I remember picking up a Marvel saga. Do you remember those? They were like reprints. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I, I bought Marvel sagas and Marvel universe. Uh, handbook to Marvel Universe stuff and just devoured it. And I used to trace the Kirby drawing, like fix the Kirby drawings in the, right. <laughs> in the, in the Marvel sagas. Um, and from there, you know, like just like everybody else, I, I've been really kind of a product of the 80s, though, like late 80s, early 90s in terms of my tastes uh, on that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of was in love, fell in love with comics in that sort of last era of like either like Pro, like mainstream cartoonists slash like tight like unit teams, you know, like the Simonsons. Or... That makes sense because uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago uh, at C two E two we were chatting up about uh, Excalibur and uh, how you yeah I really liked Excalibur. It. Yeah, why had you draw on my uh, Excalibur jam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. M- <laughs> with, with much consternation and, and much of Scotty <laughs> trying to convince you not to do it, which is right. pissed about, but you did it and you killed it. Uh, but, uh, you said you'd always, you have a great, you feel like you have a great Excalibur story, you know, in you if you ever get the chance. So hopefully, uh, yeah, maybe. your work on Southern Bastards and Spider-Man doesn't keep you from doing that Excalibur story. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, um, but that was the last era of that sort of stuff, you know, yeah, well, at sure. least for not, not, I think you're seeing it again, but yeah. there was a drought of it for a while there where, you know, you, you had Miller and Mazzucchelli and, you know, uh, Mike Mignola was sort of getting his feet wet and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what the Simonsons were together, like doing all these books. And, um, <clears throat> it was just an era where like there was a lot of hand in glove sort of collaboration or, or one guy was still sort of like steering the ship. Um, and I just never, you know, when image first formed, like I just wasn't that interested, <laughs> even at like 13 years old, like, because it wasn't, even though I liked Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane as much as every other 13 year old kid, like I just liked the stories at, at Marvel, you know, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that three DC at all. I mean, cause I don't ever hear you talk DC. a little bit. Yeah. We're, uh, like dark Knight returns. I wore the cover off of it. Right. Um, <clears throat> and, um, I really loved the flash like in college. Uh, yeah, that work, that Mark Wade flash run is really formative. Like, especially yeah. as a, especially as a writer, you know, like that was the first time I, it's years. that was the first time I ever saw the JLA Morse, Morrison's JLA run and, and, um, Wade, Wade's flash. Like that was the height of like college era DC for me. And I think it really got me interested in superheroes again, because it was like, Oh, this can actually change and like do, you know, all these legacy characters and new, and, things that could break out of the box and become their own thing. Um, like I really loved is the reason that I liked the flash back then was like, you know, you had these generations of flashes and like, so some guy could have liked Barry Allen. That was a little bit older than me. And now I got Wally West and then like some kid was going to get Bart Allen, you know? Um, <clears throat> and I liked that. And I was really sort of, I guess I understand why they did it, but I was a little like, as a fan, I was kind of like, I think you, like backtracking and bringing Barry Allen back was maybe a misstep because I liked the sort of organic progression of those characters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really formative, like as a superhero writer. Like I do like the idea of 
pushing boundaries and and um, trying to take characters in a way where they can stand on their own two feet, you know? Um, sure. Because you got to think, like, everybody... Especially, I think it's really telling nowadays. Like, I'm on a tangent now, but I think it's really telling nowadays that a lot of us hold, like, high regard for the characters we loved as kids, mm-hmm. and we expect everybody else to feel that way. But there's a whole new generation of people that... <laughs> You know, don't know about or don't or haven't yet experienced gone had time to dig back into some of the stuff that we consider to be great. You know, yeah, we I think you're right. We all we I mean, and again, it's how old you are, right? We all have those things. Like, I mean, David is a we always joke. It's he's a huge Hal Jordan fan. Like Kyle Rayner's like offensive to him. You know, (laughs) well, like like, who would have ever guessed that Hawkeye would be gigantic? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really great that it is because like for like the people that like Hawkeye, like that's. You know, that's their character now. Like, that's the thing that, like, they got to be, like, the first, maybe not the first generation of real Hawkeye fans, but they, you know, or Miss Marvel or, you know. Sure. Um, right. Or, like, I mean, like, Vince is a humongous command, uh, Commandy fan. Like, you know, like, and it's, again, uh, yeah. you know, that's cool. for me, it's like, we, and again, we talk, like, for me, because I'm, I'm about your age and, and I was a child of that same era, like, Excalibur and Alpha Flight to me are as as, as beloved uh, team books as will ever exist. And like Alpha Flight was so, a weird ass book too, and I love. And it, it was though, and that's <laughs> the thing. Like, and, and I'm always so every time they relaunch Alpha Flight, I get so excited. and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be the jam. And then it, you know, frankly, it's it doesn't sell and it ends after. And I and and I'm always kind of stunned when people are like Alpha Flight, like what? But to me, I'm like, dude, it's fucking Alpha Flight. Like, how can you not love Alpha Flight? So, you know, yeah, I mean, a weird ass, but I liked that book. That was a weird book, man. Yeah. Like for one, like Puck gets cursed <laughs> by a demon and they makes that makes him no, short and I, strong. I, I, like I, that's I, like I, a really I, offensive I, one, <laughs> but he's still, I mean, he, I love Puck, but that is really weird and really offensive origin. That's true. <laughs> but that's they're not what all he was like supposed that. to be. He wasn't because Byrne just had him. He was a dwarf. He yeah, was just, sure. he was a dwarf. And then when, when Bill Mantlo took over, that's when he's like, oh, okay, well, these, we're going to have him. He was actually tall. I remember, it, I remember an issue where, like, Box, like, comes back and he's, like, good looking and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he comes back and he's got Aurora Falls for him again. And, yep. and the end of the issue is him, like, in bed alone, like, scratching his legs off. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's like digging his nails into his yep. legs. And I was just like, I can't, that's like an image I cannot get out of my head. <laughs> like that is really upsetting. I am uh, actually angry at Marvel that they haven't put out Alpha Flight omnibuses yet. Like that makes me angry, physically angry. Physically angry. <laughs> I think John Burns probably angrier. But <laughs> I think he's angrier about everything. No, that's fair. He's building robots though, so it's all good. Right. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Southern Bastards, man. So, so you were seven issues at, or seven issues in, and uh, and and by the way, like uh, probably we're not alone here. I mean, you probably hear this all the time, but like uh, somebody's pouring some wine or something. Uh, that's coffee. Sorry. Okay. Um, the uh, the the end of the first arc, the fourth issue, was a jaw on the ground, holy shit moment. That, uh, that I, I, yeah, I think we all agreed was one of the best, if not the best, moments of comics last year. I mean, I. I I, uh, it was just fucking incredible. I mean, uh, to, 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 pardon my French, but, but, uh, you know, you've, you've got, um, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, so, so what, uh, what was the impetus? I mean, we know what Southern Bastards is now. We're seven issues in, but, but what was the impetus of it? Beyond- Do you know what it is I- yet? 
<laughs> I mean, we we know more about. Uh-huh. I would be cautious. <laughs> what, I'm, what I mean is 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 I think after the first issue, we thought it was something. Yeah, yeah. I at the end of the fourth issue, we're like, it's not at all what we thought it was. Uh-huh. And right. now, three issues in, where it's been the focus has been on 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 Coach Boss as a kid. Which leads us to believe that there's a lot more coming and a lot more character development. This is a long haul story. So, but like, I'd love to hear your perspective. We heard from Jason, Jason Aaron's, you know, I was going to say Jason, but you're Jason too. We heard from Jason, his perspective on it, but like, I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, like how long have you known Jason? Like, like how long has this been in the works? And when did you finally, did you finally decide to pull the trigger as you alluded earlier? Because A, you can make some serious bank now doing an image comic and B, you felt like your guys' careers were established enough that your names would carry a book. Like, I just would love to hear kind of the backstory as to what led to you guys finally doing this. Um, I met Jason Aaron before he had that beard that like hides the third, you know, his second mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just like Ray Wyatt, a big WWE fan. Uh, he lifts that beard up and like it just eats souls. That's what happens. <laughs> there's a little, there's a little, there's a little squirrel in there that's like Himdile or Himdal from Thor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, eat yourself is in there hiding out. <laughs> no, I um, I knew Jason. I got the, I had the good fortune of meeting Jason. Uh, pretty early like he I think he had just started the other side right. like it wasn't out yet oh, okay. um, so it was approved and he had it in hand but like you know like I remember him bringing the I remember I met him through I used to when I first started coming up like some of the first people that I would hang out with at conventions were all from Kansas City uh, and then that was because like I was doing that book with Clay and I knew Tony so you, more yeah and I, okay. and I knew Tony more from like message boards and that sort of stuff um, so for a while there, you know, I would go to conventions with these guys a lot. Um, and, uh, everybody knew Jason because Jason lived in Kansas city, you know? So I remember like meeting Jason, like at Tony Moore's house when like he, you know, had, like he was trying to figure out what logo to use for the other side, you know? Um, <clears throat> and people were, but people before we met, people were always like, well, you're both from the South. I think you both get along you're both like sort of a lot of the same things. And we did just happen to meet like at a, he doesn't remember anything, but we did happen to meet at like a, a Wizard World Chicago or something and like just hit it off. Like we, you know, we're up all night drinking, talking about Apocalypse Now and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and so like, you know, like I've always wanted to write my own stories and I've always been sort of uh, like protective of that because like when you're an artist, it's really easy to sort of get sucked into just doing what you got to do to get by, you know? Um, but I was really in taking jobs that, you know, because you have to have a job, you know? Uh, so I was really pr- protective of myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sort of cultivated an, a career as a writer uh, by doing my own projects. But he was a guy that I always knew, like, you know, at some point I would like to do more stuff with this guy, you know? Like, I just felt like we're on the same page. Um, so, you know, his career just happened to like take, like really take off. And I, and a lot of the guys from that sort of era all sort of blew up. Uh, it's pretty staggering to me 
to like look back at old photos and like some of the first cons where we all had books were like, you know, Jason Aaron and Rick Remender and Matt Fraction. And like, it's just an insane to me. Like <clears throat> the people at the fringes of those pictures, even, you know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and I was a real late bloomer because <laughs> I was around, but I just didn't do a lot of work. Um, so it was kind of, uh, sort of why it took us so long to, to link up was because of, like, because of that, because, like, my feet were dragging so, so much. Um, like, if I had been a little further along in my <clears throat> career, like, we probably would have ended up on a Marvel book or something together, you know? Um, but we always knew we wanted to do a crime series together. And so it was just a question of, like, how do we line that up? Like, how do we, find a window where it can be successful because we knew we wanted to do a book about the South. We just knew we wanted to do this like sort of like Dixie mafia book that was about the South more than it was as much as it was about like crime, you know? And Jason had this idea for a, uh, uh, you know, a football coach mob boss kind of idea. Um, and we had a title, <laughs> uh, but we really didn't have a story yet and we really didn't have ourselves lined up to the point where like I could meet the demand and that the market would support like a, you know, us doing the book. And so then, you know, but like, as you guys are well aware, like images really like kind of come together in the last couple of years. Um, so I think it was two planet comic cons ago, uh, which is the Kansas city convention. And I went out to visit and, uh, Ron Richards from Image was there and he sort of floated the idea to Jason, like, you know, that he wanted him at Image. He wanted him to be a part of, you know, what they were building there. And did, you know, he have any ideas for, for those kinds of books? And Jason sort of approached me and said, like, I think we should do a, a book, you know, like, I think you and I should do a book there. And I was like pretty reticent <laughs> because I was like, you know, he wanted to do an ongoing and I was like, I have all these other ideas that I want to do. You know, I have my own stories. Um, but he was really like from the get go, like, well, this will be our story. You know, like it's not his story that I'm drawing. Like this will be a thing we do together and we will like really work as collaborators. But we, <clears throat> you know, you can stop me if you've heard this story before, but, but because I was sort of, um, a little gun shy about my ability to like actually put out a, a lot of the, all those issues. Uh, I think I tried to like talk us out of doing it ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> so like we're sitting there like at the, and I think like some good stuff was born of that in the sense that like we really like, uh, decided to make every issue count more and, and we kept, tried to figure out what the through line was and what the, like, the strongest presentation of the idea was because I knew like time would, could be limited, you know? Um, so we're sitting there all weekend and we're sort of like throwing ideas back and forth and we keep coming back to Southern bastards, but we don't have a hook. Like we don't have a, we, we don't know like what the through line is. Like how do we introduce people into this world? And so I told, you know, I told Jason about this crazy incident that happened where my, uh, the neighbor between me and Shelton's house had this giant dog that she would just like, like let run wild and I walked out one time and there was a giant like turd pie <laughs> in my yard that had a stick growing out of it. Like it had a twig growing out of it. 
<laughs> and I and I thought like in that moment like I should like just start watering this tree and like one day I'll snap a branch off of it and give that dog like it's just desserts. And I'm not <laughs> I don't condone like beating up dogs, but I just thought it was funny, you know. <laughs> and um and I just sort of became obsessed with the idea of like a tree representing like you know <laughs> the, like the cycle. Um, and the idea of a sort of somebody like, like sh- shitting their own doom, uh, planting, you know, water, watering their own, their own doom there. And I, so I asked, I told Jason, like, well, what if we do a Western, you know, like where like the guy rolls back into town and his father's been killed and there's a tree growing and, you know, and Jason like was smart enough to instantly know, like, oh no, like we'll just make it like sort of like walking tall, and then now we have Southern bastards, you know. Now we have our way to get to meet the football coach. So it was a real organic thing that we both came up with together, and you know we're both like completely invested in. Um, That's amazing. And it's been like that every step of the way. I mean, we talk a lot, you know. Uh, he's definitely the writer on the book, but like. We're best, you know, and I'm definitely the artist, but like, there's a lot of, it's a lot of collaboration, you know, there's a lot of, uh, ideas that go back and forth and opinions about things. And, uh, you know, I, I really like working with the guy and I'm really happy with the results. Um, well, you should be. Yeah, I think that, I think that dog should get a hug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be a nice ending to that story. <laughs> As I end up like walking behind that dog, like picking up his poop every day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's better than me beating the dog with a stick. Yeah, no shit. Well, David wouldn't read the book if he beat the dog. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, so, all right. So, so I don't want to, I always, I don't know about spoilers, but we're seven issues in. So let's, uh, Let's let's give our listeners a we're gonna we may spoil the first arc in some way. So if you don't want to hear spoilers about the first arc, well, first I'll of all, shame, this, the, shame the, on you for well. Let me just say to our listeners, shame on you for not having already read the first couple issues before we talk about it. But uh, if you if you haven't, we may delve in because there's a couple things I'm dying to ask you. Well, that first surprise I don't think is a surprise, and I never felt like it was a surprise. You mean Earl <laughs> getting killed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never felt like that was like that big of a shock. And I well, think that, as a reader, that, I can tell you, I think we all disagree. Like, I, I, yes. I mean, I, I, I came across that fourth issue and I was like, holy shit. Like, because again, let's be honest. I mean, how often do you spend four issues of a new series introducing us to a character as the central protagonist and then he's dead? That's no, not, I think right. it works. Don't get me wrong. And I think it, I'm just saying, uh, like as somebody that had the knowledge of where it was going, I felt like all along that like we had tipped our hand. So like the second reveal, which I don't think we should get into. No. Um, the, the epilogue is what I thought was the real twist all along. Well, um, and I think we would agree. And, and again, without spoiling that, um, suffice to say, uh, can you give us a hint of when we might see that character roll soon. into the series? Soon. soon. Okay. Okay. I mean, we're going to take our time, but we'll see glimpses of that, you know. Uh, One of the things I love about this book is it keeps surprising me in the way that you're choosing to tell the story. Like, I think we were chatting after issue, we might have even said this on the air, um, after issue seven, like, it's been really cool to get to know Coach Boss as a youngster and what led to him becoming who he is now. But I I think we agreed that, like, I hope it doesn't go too much longer in the sense that, like, we're missing 
the world you set up in the first four issues. I wouldn't like, worry I, about that. Yeah. No, I figured as much, yeah. but, but you know, and it's like, I um, you said it last week or the week before, but yeah, yeah. I think so. Right. Yeah. Issue yeah. eight is pretty nuts in, a, okay. in, a, in its own way. Like, I don't know that it's the sort of like crescendo of madness <laughs> that issue four was. I, I, as I was working on issue four, there were a couple of times when I just like sat back and laughed at, okay, yeah. <laughs> just at how like, <laughs> I just was like, this book is insane. <laughs> like, so you, you know, in a good way, I think, but it was insane. Um, and I called Jason several times and told him, I can't believe what we're actually, like, what this book is, you know? Like, this is, a, like, people fighting in the street with sticks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <clears throat> I don't know, sorry. But well, I think that's one of the reasons why that first arc worked so well is because you, you flesh Earl out amazingly well and as a reader like jason said we almost have a false sense of security right knowing that this character's been around for three issues and then we, so you get to the fourth issue and you say okay here's earl again i want to know more and then it happens and you're like that is brilliant it, because it opens the door to this larger story that you guys have planned and it it it, it was just a complete surprise well thanks um <clears throat> yeah, uh, the impact of Earl Tubb is not going to like go away anytime soon. In fact, like you'll, you know, in its own way, it's already present in the second arc. Um, and I think yeah. like that'll be a lot. I mean, that's obviously something that's on everybody's mind in that fifth issue. But like I think as you'll see without giving too much away, like it is a through line even through the rest of this arc. Yeah. Um, so are the, are the arcs supposed to be four issues a piece or? I think our third, we're going to take a break after arc two. We're taking a two or three month break. So what? And that ends, that, that ends with number eight. Wait, that's bullshit. <laughs> hey, if you want me to finish, if you want me to finish this book. I want Spider-Gwen, buddy. So, you know, don't worry about it. Um, but we just have to for scheduling demands. No, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, and I hope people will be patient, but the, the third arc as it's planned will probably be five or six issues. Okay. Uh, we're going to have a good long third arc. And do you, like, do you guys have, uh, like, like I said, we, we, we had Hickman on a few weeks ago and we were talking about, like, his process. Do you guys have, like, a, an ultimate ending in mind? Like, do you know where this yeah, ends? Do. Okay. So, like, is this gonna go on for as long as you guys both feel good about it? Or is it got, like, a, conceptually, is it a 50 issue arc, a 60 issue arc, or, you know, like, what is the plan there? Uh, it's sort of like, you know, we can, we can take the highway or we can take the scenic route. You know, okay. uh, we have a destination. Look, the book's selling well. Let's, let's keep it real. It's selling well. So yeah, but we, I, there's a, like me for real. Like I don't, you know, even if it's selling great, like there's a certain point when I think if it's done, mm-hmm. it, it needs to be done. You know, sure. um, <clears throat> it's not like we like Jason or I can't like tell more stories about the South. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, it's Is North Carolina really the South. Though? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Uh, I, I someone we got in this big debate. Uh, I was at I was at a I, I turned forty this year and we were at a uh we were I was out with a bunch of buddies who all were forty and we were celebrating and somehow we got in this debate about which which states were south and which weren't and uh North Carolina was, was one of much debate. But I know as a North I Carolina I think if you if you grew up here, if you're my age then you're definitely southern. Sure. Charlotte and Raleigh are sort of in a weird flux where, you know, there's a lot of people that have moved here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was my, 
I'm like, I've been yeah. to Charlotte. I don't know that it's south, but 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 if you go, you know, you, 20 you minutes like, from here, okay. yeah. yeah, if you go 20 minutes from here, it's the south, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, well, I think the not most, even that far, you know. The <laughs> so, most important question of the night is, uh, at what point are you going to let me buy pages from Southern Bastards? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like, I, I don't. I hold on to most of my stuff. I know you do. I know. It's, Believe it's, you. That's it's why not, I asked. It's not because I'm trying to be stingy about it or anything. It's just, or I have some grand weird business plan. It's just, uh, you know, I work atypically. A lot of times I, 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 I don't feel like the, the stuff has reached a point where I want to let go of it. I'm not sentimental about it, but I also, you know. I don't know. It's a weird internal thing that I think when I'm ready to do cool. it, so I will. Heroes, you'll have pages for me. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, we can always talk about it. You make me. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to put no pressure on you. You know, I just I love original art, and I uh, I love your work. So, so Thanks. at some point, you, you know. have to. Without going on another tangent, like part of it is like I grew up going to that to Heroes Con, and uh, it's yeah. a, it's an art collector's culture, and I think it's exactly. really it's really cool. Uh, but having grown up around it like my career didn't take off and my art didn't take off until i sort of accepted that like original art was uh not what i was interested in um right i felt like i hit a ceiling like as an artist when i tried to make the page pristine and perfect and like function as a thing outside of the comic like to me the comic is the art well, that's actually, that's what I was alluding to earlier with, like, when you, with some of your more infamous or famous blog posts, one of the ones I was talking about was where you, uh, again, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you were kind of riffing a few years ago about the art versus writing. And, and I've been on a tangent, I think, similar lately where I, I, um, you know, we've done the show for, we're just about to hit our seven year anniversary. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think we, we have a fairly, you know, uh, balanced and, 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 uh, we have some, a decent amount of breath in what we cover. And one of the things that drives me nuts is this idea that, uh, like the, I feel like it's a cop out this, uh, this concept of art being subjective. Like, and, and I'm, what I mean by that is that, um, like the aesthetic appreciation of art is obviously subjective. Like, um, you know, uh, I, I, some people love Alex Ross or Greg Land. Some people don't, some people love, you know, more cartoony styles. Some people don't like, that's fine. Like that is subjective. Like what, whatever appeals to you is subjective. But where I get frustrated is I feel like 95% of other podcasts and comic book review websites treat the art in such a binary way. Like I liked the art. I didn't like the art. They don't actually take the time to understand that like the art isn't not only a huge component of the overall experience, but there are objective components to art that matter. Like, Again, like, does the art tell the story? Does the art, you know, is the lighting done properly? You know, is the use of blacks done correctly? Or is the, is the panel layout effective? You know, are the, there are lots of choices that the artist makes that are hugely important to the overall telling and enjoyment of the story that I feel can be discussed and critiqued in an objective way. And yet I feel like too many people are so lazy with that. Oh, I liked it aesthetically or I didn't ergo it's good or bad. And it drives me nuts. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with it, with most of that. Um, yeah, well, no, it's I'm definitely, saying... it's definitely treated. There is definitely a proclivity to treat it like it's binary. Um, yeah, and your piece a few years ago was essentially, if I if I read it right, was like, um, 
there's a difference between being an effective storyteller as an artist and doing a piece that visually on one page on a wall stands out. And as an art, as an avid art collector, I a thousand percent agree with that. Like some of my absolute favorite comic books and stories of all time have original art that I could very well buy from the creators because I know them and I know their dealers that I just don't necessarily vibe with like in a static moment, right? Like on a static framed on my wall, I don't know that it resonates. Whereas well, in, in the comic, I loved it. And flip side, there are pages that I either do or would own that like as an image, I'm like, holy shit, like this image is stunning. But maybe as a story, it wasn't as effective as some of the other things. And I know that that was kind of your, your vibe back then. Well, so all I can speak to is the idea that I think that people, especially artists, like it's all about like, I think everybody wants to be validated in what they do. And so it's all about the choice of where like you find your validation, mm-hmm. right? So my uh, pet calls <laughs> here is that I think like the, the medium of comic books is largely like moved forward by stories. And that doesn't mean that like uh, illust- illustrative like artwork has no value or that like people who uh, are more focused on singular images or lesser artists. I just think that like if you've chosen to, to work in a storytelling medium, like it makes sense uh, both for the art form and the commerce of the art form to focus on like telling stories rather than uh, singular illustrations. And I think the problem with uh, art that doesn't service the story and on some levels, like original art is that uh, the focus becomes on like, what's the resale value of the piece? What is another artist going to think of my facility here on the page? Um, so people look for validation either like through money or acceptance of peers. And my own personal validation comes from the, the connectivity of telling a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't make me more right or more wrong, but I think that I could, if pressed, I could make a stronger case <laughs> than most people. Right. Uh, and uh, I'm an egomaniac, so of course I Are do you? that. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I wouldn't be an art if I didn't have a big ego, you know? This is a very, uh, pretentious, this is an inherently pretentious, uh, field. It's also an inherently, into. um, self-deprecating <laughs> business though, right? I mean, most artists are their own harshest critics. Uh, yeah, but I also think that there's a, just like in real life, like when people, uh, people who lack confidence can sort of make up for, make up for their insecurity by being more myopic and more, boisterous you know like i think especially like comic book artists we spend a lot of time at a table alone so you know if you're not receiving validation of your peers or you're not receiving validation from like uh, fans or you're not receiving validation from the money you make uh you know you have to find a way to guard your to guard your feelings and guard the way you and give yourself a reason to keep going right Uh, so so a lot of people will like burrow into uh, whatever that, whatever that's that validation is, you know? So like if somebody makes a lot of money at something, they will say like, 
well, you know, like I don't give a fuck about the other parts of the process. Like I make money or if they're mm. really, or if they're a really good anchor and people like uh, respond to their inks, you know, they'll just, they'll tell themselves all these, uh, you know, they'll, they'll re-embolden their approach to life based on where they receive validation for that skill, right. you know? And like, you could even argue, make the argument that what I'm saying is the same thing where like, I, you know, I think that people respond to, <clears throat> hopefully respond to the stories I draw so or tell. So, like, of course I'm going to think that that's the most important part of the process. But I, I just think, like, you have to step back from it every now and then and realize mm-hmm. that, like, you know, that, that goes back to, like, those, like, essays that, I, that I've written, which are, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a very concerted effort to make those things that are uh, malleable in the mind of the person that's reading it, you know, and applicable to what they you know, to their own situation and not necessarily me like standing on the mountain with the, the, the third tablet or whatever. <laughs> second, <laughs> second tablet. Moses Latour. <laughs> right. Uh, I know that's a, a sort of a, a tangent, but <clears throat> that's what I do. <laughs> Our show's all about tangents. Tangents are good. Especially when Ryan Brown's on it. Yeah. That's true too. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. Does that, I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but that's, um, you know, off the top of my head, that's sort of, it's hard to encompass all my feelings about original art. I mean, I think like it is a vital part of like the way fans engage, some fans engage with the medium and like somehow some artists make a living, you know? So it's not a thing that I think is like a, a evil thing or a thing that I turn my nose up at, you know? Um, I certainly would like to sell my pages and make a lot of money off of them. Um, but well, I just, I well, say- I think you just heard it here first. For, for, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Uh, Jason is going to be giving me first dibs on Southern Bastard pages at Heroes Con this year. I'm excited yeah, I am about just, that. I mean, but the the reasoning is I'm just a little wary of like the tail wagging the dog. I don't want to like yeah. la- I don't want to set myself up into a situation where like I'm suddenly like, oh shit, I make you know more off of selling this original art, or I make a, a significant amount of money off this page looking pristine when like the story that I'm drawing calls for for all those things to be broken. You know, for me to take sure. chances on the page and for me to like do things, you know, yeah. I do things on Southern Bastards that are all in the computer that are like color elements. Oh, do you? you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, sure. With the coloring. Yeah. You know, I fix things in the computer. I do like all kinds of stuff. It's more of a multimedia mixed medium kind of thing for me. And I okay. think it makes the work a little bit better. Whereas like if I, mm-hmm. if I only focus on the idea that like this is about like the facility I have with ink, I think it would really narrow my, the potential of the stories I'm telling, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to have some form, some, you have to narrow your uh, intent so to, te- to tell a story. You have to be able to do that. So you've, you're already in a very narrow box, like just by the virtue of the fact that you picked this medium to work yeah. in, you know, um, sorry. No, no. So, so we, uh, you know, we do a, an award show every year, uh, called the 11 o'clockers. <laughs> and uh, I know you love the name. It's clever. <laughs> he was, <laughs> was going to say no, exactly. that is That's stupid. stupid. <laughs> um, but uh, like we have, you know, tons of categories, and one of the categories we have is uh, is favorite writer artist, which is uh, someone who does, you know, does it all, like does it both. And uh, okay. and you were my choice this year. Cool, man. And uh, yeah, but you were the first choice, I think that uh, at least that I've ever chosen. It maybe all, maybe for all of us, but I think for me for sure that didn't like. Like generally, that category goes to someone 
like uh, like Terry Moore or like Jeff like Lemire or Matt Kent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I actually gave you the award this year for the exact opposite reason, which is that you are drawing one of my favorite books and you're writing, uh, you know, you're writing a couple of my favorite books. And like the fact that you were doing both separately intrigued me because that's there, there aren't a lot yeah, of I guys. I got a weird that, ass career, man. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. And I'm saying like that's that's I think that's kind of unusual. Like I think it is very we're in an era where there actually are a decent amount of guys that are like writing and drawing their own books from like Rand and Graham or shit. Even Hickman, when we had him on, said you know he's about to finally do that book where he's going to draw and write it. So I, I guess my and this is probably a rhetorical question, so apologize for that. But like. Suffice to say that, that whether it be soon or maybe after Southern Bastards is wrapped up, like, I presume since you are a writer, like, you have stories that you intend, like, over your career you envision writing and drawing your own book. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, there may even be issues of Southern Bastards like that. Like, there's okay. one, there's one on the slate that I may write and draw for this mm-hmm. third arc. Um, you know, and I've, I'm definitely gonna do a creator own book that I write and draw. Um, cool. I was actually kind of obsessing over an idea for that this week. And, you know, and I've also even talked to, you know, the company, like Marvel keeps asking me to do that. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential for it. It's just that mm-hmm. at this point, like, you know, I would be a fool to walk away from Southern Bastards. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I think if people can be patient, you know, there might be a way that like I can take a break between an arc or something and do a shorter thing. Which is something I actually am interested in doing. I think like for the long, the thing about Southern Bastards is, is and, and this might frustrate even Jason Aaron, but to me, like I'm in it till it's done. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot out of you. And, and as an artist, I think you have to have room to play and grow and do, do different things, you know? And since you guys are so collaborative, I mean, how would you classify like the, the style both as for you as a, as a, cartoonist and as a writer like marvel method not like do you, do you do full script when you're doing like something like spider gwen or wolverine the x-men and and on the southern bastard side like i know you guys are really collaborative but like is it are you on like skype I, chatting about all right let's do this panel let's do this panel or is he like giving you a script and then you're drawing it like what is the process well both with jason and with robbie there's always a phone call first yeah okay you know um <clears throat> I, I like to gauge robbie's interest level you know, I like to, and Robbie is going to give little bits of input just based on, you know, what, you know, he has a voice in it. Um, by and large, you know, I'm the one in that process sort of having to manage where the story's going and having to figure out what, what, you know, how to, to put this all into a 20 page comic, um, to sort of set the scene for Robbie to do his thing, you know, mm-hmm. with, um, with Southern Bastards, uh, I'm probably a little more active in terms of that part of the process, like the phone call. Um, but Jason Aaron is an amazing writer. So, you know, he turns in a full script. Uh, and if I have any objections or any, like, things that I want to change, like, we discuss that, you know. Like, I, I have enough respect for the process and for his ability and for Robbie's ability that, like, you know, those things are always open for discussion. Um and always, you know, I feel like it's an important part of the process. Um, you don't get to do that on every gig, and sometimes it works out fine. Like, but you know, sometimes it burn it burns you. On, like both as a writer and as an artist. Um, but I do feel like 
we just assign titles like writer and artist to things largely so that like it fits the narrative of like the expectations from a career standpoint. There's like all these other things that like go into like putting your name on a book as a writer or putting your name on a book as a colorist or color artist or penciler or anchor that have to do with like getting your next job or getting people to recognize your work or, you know, like they're, they're aspects that don't really have, as much to do with the process behind the scenes. Um, and if you accept that and you can kind of let go of that a little bit, like I think the work gets better, you know, like I don't need credit as a writer for every idea that I throw at Jason Aaron, you know, I just Mm -hmm. know that like it's our book, you know, and that the book is going to be better if, uh, if we both have the freedom to throw those ideas back and forth and the same thing, with Robbie, you know, if Robbie has a really great idea, I'd be a fool not to listen to it, you know? Right. I'm obviously going to bend it to cater like what I do as a writer, but I'm not going to, um, you know, not listen. Yeah. <laughs> if you stop I mean, listening, you're done, you know? You're 37, like you said, and so even, I mean, frankly, five years ago when you were 32, yeah. uh, the, the creator-owned world was different, right? I mean, it really was, right. like, the perception of it, so... Like, did you ever think you'd see, like five years ago, did you ever think you'd see a day where, um, you could legit make, not only make a living, but make better living doing an image book than you could have done if you found I didn't think it would be in print. I thought that, but at this point we would, if there was any lands, I thought the landscape for creator owned books at this point would be that you do a digital book and then you collect it. And I really felt, I really, I'm kind of surprised. I'm totally surprised by the the print boom, like in creator own comics. Yeah, I think some of it is a, a reaction to the idea that like, um, that print's shrinking, and like so it becomes more precious in a way. And I don't think print's ever going to really go away, but I am surprised that it's as still as viable as it is. Because my whole career plan was basically like. Once my writing career took off, I was like, well, I'll write for Marvel and then I'll draw a, a web thing, you know, for myself that I'll then collect and try and get into other markets with. Sure. But I, I never thought that, like, we'd be sitting here in 2015 and, you know, book uh, there'd be a book like Saga. Well, I was going to say, not to, I don't expect you to put your own finances on out on the blast, but... um you know, Hickman was on like two weeks ago and he, 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 he threw some shit out there. He said that, uh, number one, Patara and Dragata are doing so well with, you know, with East of West and, uh, and Manhattan products respectively that literally Marvel couldn't afford them at this point. And then he also said, which I thought was really like open of him to suggest, uh, is that, you know, last year, which is a big year for him at Marvel, um, he made, what did he got, guys, what did he say? 90% of his, Profits? Is that right? Did he say nine? Yeah. Yeah. He made last year. He made ninety percent of his income off Image versus Marvel. I was pretty stunning when you consider that it's like I would have if he said fifty fifty. I would be like, damn, that's pretty great. But ninety ten when you consider that he had both Avengers books, you know, like going twice a month, like you know, selling collectively multiple millions of copies. Like the fact that so I mean to your point. um well, he would say this, I think. I mean, not to cut you off, but I think if sure. you at, if you pressed him on this, he would he would say. I mean, that number, I I totally believe that number. I totally believe that, but I do think he would probably tell you that, like, 
were he not on Avengers, it would be much harder to put East to West. Oh no, no, he, he absolutely acknowledges that. Sure, it's that, it's <laughs> yeah. that whole Kirkman manifesto. So, thing so right? it's hard to it's hard to say that even though he made ninety percent more hard cash on an image book, it's hard to say that that ten percent is not like you know exponentially more valuable. Oh yeah, well, he, he <laughs> or maybe went, not more. Valuable. He went beyond that. Like he said that you know he did. I mean, he frankly said you know his career arc obviously was that unlike a lot of people, uh, you know, Nightly News is the first thing he ever pitched. It got picked up didn't make a penny you know just right yeah, shit. Exactly. uh you know he, yeah, he has a he has a, a really in his own way has a very strange career like it's really yeah. like it's really crazy to that he has had the success at both levels simultaneously mm-hmm. well i think yeah. um you know again like we, we we are fortunate to have a decent amount of you know creators and friends on the show over the years and and i think a lot of times we'll like open it up for questions and like our audience will often say like you know and i'm sure you get this all the time at cons like how can I break into the business or what's the secret? And I think the universe, one of the universal things we hear from creators, whether you, whether again, whether you be an illustrator or a writer or both is that like, there is no universal secret. Like, no. uh, it's every one of you has a different origin story, right? Like it's like, you know, I mean, some of so, you, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's uh, serendipity. Like with, you know, I mean, again, Hickman is the first to admit, like, his story sounds like a dream come true. He, oh, you, you, here's he, my he was, sermon. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, break okay. it down. Here's, here's a little sermon. Pulpit. Pulpit. <laughs> I think people get in their own way. Uh, I think like a lot of us like to look at like, you know, the struggle of like Alan Moore or something, right? And, and we like to put that on a pedestal, especially early in our lives and say like, well, you know, he did this, <sighs> he did this work for hire thing at DC that, blew the hell up and and uh propelled him into the greatness that he has but he still sort of has this like like salt in his short or you know sand in his shorts over that book and the way that he was treated over that book but the the thing where I, reason i think that's a that's sort of a false analogy for the modern era is that like that was a, at a time when a guy like alan moore could not have done a book outside in any other venue that would have really made him a living. And so he, he chose to work at DC or you could argue that he didn't choose, but he worked at DC for money and he had to shoehorn, you know, this sort of more epic or more expansive view of, of comics into the one form of the medium that he could make a living at, you know, and he sort of paid the price for that, you could argue, or maybe he didn't. It's a, you know, it's up to whatever your point of view is. And the, this day and age, though, I don't think that it works like that at all. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's more opportunities to have your work seen than there's ever been in the history of comics. There's piece. more, there's more publishers, <laughs> there's more mediums for delivery. Like, you know, <clears throat> You can literally like make a comic at your desk and send it to the world in, you know, as soon as you can take a picture of it. Um, you can cultivate a audience, you know, like overnight. <laughs> it's a really crazy time to like be doing this sort of stuff. And I just don't feel like people should narrow their options, uh, based on the way other people achieve success. Like, sure. I can tell you that like my, that I got here this way, and this is why I do Marvel comics, and this is why I also do Image comics. But ultimately, like, I don't think that matters as much as like the drive to like get your comics made, like get in where you fit in, like find the place that like you know your work belongs, 
and think about where you want to go. You know, don't like just think like, you know, if you want to write Spider-Man, think about how the best way to like get to write Spider-Man would be sure. But like, don't follow Dan Slott. But don't think that don't <laughs> think that don't think that you have to write Spider-Man to succeed. You know, it, it can help, but it's not the only path. Um, I just think it's more impor- important to philosophically like uh, figure out like what you, what the kind of stories you want to tell and why you want to tell those stories, and then surround yourself with people that like uh, <clears throat> are going to not only support you but also challenge you. You know. Because this is a really hard <clears throat> road to hoe if you, like, don't have, um, I don't know, if you're not, like, completely in love with it. Because that love won't even carry you, like, through <laughs> uh, a lot of times, you know. We all know people who love things that are never successful at it. Um, and success, you know, obviously is, like, very narrow definition here. We're talking about, like, making a living. Because there's a lot of ways to, like, be successful at art that don't, like, imply, like, don't have anything to do with money. Sure. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's just really the only advice I could ever give anybody about doing comics is just like, know why you want to do them, you know, and that'll carry you a lot further than, at least it's, you know, I think I see evidence of it carrying people a lot further than, than most other strategies, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just not, you know, like people try to like break it down. The fact that we even call it an industry is kind of funny sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, you know, sure, there's like all these lessons from other, you know, walk other business models that you can bring in and sort of apply here and there. But like by and large, like commercial art or art as a form of commerce is a just like a it's a hard thing to pin down. I mean, you know, I wake up sometimes and I look at this, like what I do for a living and I'm kind of just stunned that people buy the stuff I do and I feel really great. <laughs> I feel yeah. that I get to sit and draw at a desk and draw lines on paper and that people will like will actually buy that. I'm jealous of you guys every day. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing in the sense that it's amazing that people actually buy it. And it's also like amazing that people like can connect to that because yeah. it's just lines on paper. <laughs> and that's, that's like where all the, that's like very humbling and also very like, um, I think it blows my mind, you know, the power of that. Um, and I think that's sort of like where, like just to bring it all back and put a bow on it. Like that's sort of where like all that, all that like when I rant online or I ramble like this, like that's sort of like I'm in love with that idea. Like I'm in love with the fact that like, you know, you could sit down and just make a thing that like people will connect to. And I think that like, as long as <clears throat> I try to keep my eye on that, like no matter what, you know, um, <clears throat> totally. and it's, it's been a hard, <laughs> hard, uh, road sometimes, but it's been worth it to this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> sorry, we, guys. we, we, op- no, we opened up, uh, we opened up the, uh, the Twitter, to uh to the audience okay see if they have any questions and uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna drop a few on you um so dave jordan would like to know uh do you eat uh hand grenades for breakfast and then shit them out through your hands as pure art explosiveness (laughs) so i'm guessing that's kind of a rhetorical question so i'll uh i'll move on from that um (laughs) one you (laughs) unless you want to respond that was a nice compliment there you go um 
one I think you kind of just got at, but he wouldn't know that because he hasn't listened to the show yet. Uh, John Bourne would like to know, uh, which is more satisfying, writing a really tight story or drawing a sweet page? Oh, they're like sort of the same thing, mm-hmm. like in a weird way. Uh, you know, I was thinking today, like the, the big difference is, is that, you know, like there's a certain point, like where I feel like I've gotten to the point where as an artist, like the page is sort of like the book is kind of conquered. Like once I've figured it out, like in my head. But the difference is, is that like with, when I'm writing a script, like once I've reached that point, like I could probably knock the whole script out in one night if I had to. Sure. But, but art, you know, like <clears throat> drawing a book becomes more of an endurance test. Um, where even if you've, you know what you want to achieve on the page, like your, your body and your mind like suffer the entropy of having like sit at a desk and actually perform that, you know, that skill for, for hours on end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so they're sort they're sort of like uh you know they're both like both races but one's a, like more of a endurance test. This actually isn't a Twitter question, but you just kind of made me think of it. Do you like what what is your since you are writing and drawing comics separately? Like do you, do you have a a daily process on that regard, or is it kind of just whatever like whatever, whatever fire is yeah, <laughs> needs okay. to be put out? You know, but yeah. like with the uh, story, like with the writing side of it. Like, I'm the kind of dude that wakes up with a million, like, I have a new idea every day. Um, and, like, sort of, like, why I've finally been able to focus and have a career is I've realized, like, I have to, like, meditate on ideas. Like, I have to, <laughs> drawing helps that. Like, drawing the restrictive, like, that entropy and that, like, actual time that you have to take to draw um, prohibits me from just running off in any direction with, with every thought, you know. Um, so it's, like, really helped me, like, figure out how to, think through a story um, just by virtue of like, you know, being nailed to a chair all day. So it is a put out the fire kind of thing. But um, like this, like when I'm writing Spider-Gwen, I'll go through phases where I'm actually drawing or inking Southern Bastards pages. And I'm thinking about Spider-Gwen, you know, um, <clears throat> but when it's time to figure out the storytelling of Southern Bastards, or if I'm just like at the grocery store, you know, I could be thinking about any kind of story. I <laughs> live in my own head a lot. <laughs> So let's see here. Uh, Neeks, Neeks asks, it's a good question. Do you, uh, I mean, I'm, I, again, I, we could probably guess the answer here, but he wants to know, uh, do you read any current comics? And if so, what are your favorites? Um, you know, and same question, I guess, regarding your favorite artists of the, that are working these days. Um, yeah, I do read a lot of comics. Um, like if I'm a little behind at the moment because I've just, it's been a crazy couple of months. Um, uh, I really, you know, it's going to sound silly. I like Jason Aaron's Thor a lot. Like, I don't like, you know, I give him shit sometimes. I will tell him if I don't like a story, <laughs> but I've really liked the, the new approach to Thor a lot. Um, I just read all of Saga and I was surprised. Oh, like, like you really I, like just read the whole thing. Yeah. And I really love that book. Um, about time, dude. Yeah, I know. Uh, shit. <clears throat> Annihilator, man, that new Morrison book has really blown my my mind. Um, I like Multiversity. I've liked the bulk of that. Um, Hear that one? Stray, Stray Bullets and, like, the last arc of Stray Bullets was really great. And, uh, you know, other image books like Drifter's good, Deadly Cat Class is good. Yeah. Um, the new, uh, what Dennis Hopeless is going to be doing in Spider Woman is really good. 
Cool. Um, it takes a new direction, like with issue five. And uh, he sent it to me the other day, just sort of like, you know, just like, what do you think of it? I thought it was really It lands great. off the book too, right? Yeah, it's uh, Javier, Javier Rodriguez. Yes. Yeah, right. It, it's really great. I was really, that. Uh, Dennis is really good, and I think that's one of the best things Dennis has, has done. He um, is very good, yeah. He's been good since Gearhead, though. It's, it's good he's finally getting recognized for that. Yeah, sure. Uh, an artist, um, I have a lot of my friends, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't want to lose people, you know, like, I don't want to <laughs> exclude anybody. Sure, that's fine. Uh, James Heron's really good. Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he'll uh, be even better when he draws on one of my dram- champions. But. Yeah. Uh, Paul has a say that's great. Um, yep. you know, Jersey guy. Chris Bruner, who worked with me on, uh, Loose Ends, is, uh, when was my roommate for a long time. That guy's great. Uh, just on and on, you know. Uh, there's a, it's a really good time for, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it cartoony artwork, but, you know, um, for sure. Have you, uh, speaking of Hammer, have you, uh, read Rumble yet? His, uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's good, right? Yeah, James has been, <clears throat> I, I have the good fortune of, like, emailing James a couple times a week, you know. He's been sending me stuff for a long time. Cool. It's really great. Cool. Well, I just, I bring that up because I own some James Heron pages, but, uh, just, uh, I'd like for you to own <laughs> Right? <some. laughs> oh, I'm just saying, man. I mean, I'd love to own some Jason Latour pages too. I'm just point, pointing that out. <laughs> uh, we need to get a soundboard. Every time you toot your own horn, I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm tooting the artist horn. just money back. No, I'm tooting the artist horn so I love enough to spend hard earned dollars on their work. Uh, Ray Wagner would love to know, uh, how you felt about working with uh, the Mignola verse, which I, and again, by the way, totally, totally random to you coming on the show. I actually read uh, the Sledgehammer 44 trade uh, about two weeks ago. Oh, cool. And, That's uh, weird because I picked that up today for some reason. Oh, like, weird. I was, yeah. like, walk, I was like, it was, you know, I have a little shelf with all my mm-hmm. stuff on it. And for a some reason, yeah, yeah, just where I keep my trades, you know, like yeah. um, that I've done. And I just happened to be like, I was looking to see, like, I don't know, some weird abstract problem. So I just flipped it, through, like, picked it up and flipped through it this morning. Yeah. So that's a weird. So for our listeners that don't know, so Sledgehammer 44 is a uh, part of the Hellboy world. It's uh, it was a, I guess it was a, you did a two issue thing, and then there were three issues that uh, were, were done by. Yeah, I drew the origin story. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah. it's basically like a, a. a I mean, sort of almost like a like a robotic or a metallic like golem, like a an automaton. A, it's like know. World War Two Iron Man, yeah. but with like instead of uh, science, he, he's powered by like the supernatural sort of right. Uh, like like a, 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 someone uh, around, like a soldier dies, and and that soul kind of inhabits the body until someone yeah, else. Sure. Takes yeah, it's up. a really yeah, it's a really cool character. Um, yeah, and I also but, did a two issues of BPRD. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah. Ray, would just like to know, like, what was your experience working with Mike and, and that universe? And I guess what, what uh, it was it, great. I mean, I that he, was, I would dare say he was probably my favorite artist growing up. Like, it's really hard to put, put that label on anybody, but he definitely would be, you know, in that conversation. So I was really like beside myself when uh, I got that opportunity. You know, um, <laughs> the only reason I really feel like I didn't stick around was uh you know i wanted to do my own books i wanted to do southern bastards um i wanted to do you know i had a really crazy opportunity to do that django and chain thing and i just would have killed myself if i had not said yes to 
drawn a story that Quentin Tarantino wrote. Because, <laughs> um, like, the sections I did in that book, you know, aren't aren't on the movie. Um, so that sort of stuff conspired to me it, moving on. But it was a really great career highlight, you know, like a life highlight. For sure. So, so, uh, Don Cardenas, who, again, I'm, I'm guessing we can answer this question already based on the conversation we've had, but, but he wants to know, uh, did you and, and Jason Aaron feel, even for a moment, any pull to change plans on Southern Bastards issue four? <laughs> no. The response of the character receives, and I'm guessing the answer is no. No. I, the thing I'm, the, the only shocking thing about that ending, as far as where I'm sitting, is that, I didn't spoil it because <laughs> if you notice, I, I ramble and I talk a lot. So I'm surprised I didn't, you know, I told like two people. So I'm shocked that I didn't, you know, that I didn't spoil that surprise. Um, somebody floated an alternate possibility that I really liked, which would have that it still involved like the ultimate, like what we did. But there was a different, like somebody at my table one time threw out a weird idea that I kind of liked and me and Jason ran through that possibility uh, um, and ultimately decided like it, no that would that wouldn't be any better um, and I didn't want to steal the guy's idea <laughs> <laughs> right all right w- one more question from the audience uh, another Jason so we have to give his, his, his shout out um, goes by Ken has hotels on Twitter he wants to know um, Will there be a any chance for a Southern Bastards barbecue cookbook? <laughs> yeah, there actually could be. Uh, you know, we keep we're like behind. We wanted to put recipes like in every issue, and I have like my mom is gonna do like a banana banana pudding recipe, mm. um, and uh, I just like she keeps dragging her feet, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, People have written in and given us a couple cool recipes. We haven't tried them out, so I wouldn't want to, you know. But I do think there could be a funny. I don't think anybody would buy it, but I think it would be a funny thing to make. Is it like it's definitely not going to sell as well as like you know sex tips or just the tips or whatever. Um, uh, I don't know. Food. I guess food is comparable to to sex in terms of popularity. So, is that right? Oh hell yeah! Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know. I think the more pressing thing we would probably have to do is do a guide to football. Like, how do you play football? Because <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a lot of people Coach who... Coach Boss is like uh, Bear Bryant if he was a gangster. Right. But there's a lot of people who I think are reading the book, and I'm really flattered by this, that like probably don't understand football at all. Um, and that's the way we designed it. Like, I mean, I think like if you know football, hopefully like it holds up. Because um, I'm a big football fan and so is yeah. jason and I, I played in high school did um, you i was gonna yeah. ask you that like off air because i uh again my uh david and vince are not huge football fans but i'm i'm actually an eagle season ticket holder i'm and, sorry uh, <laughs> wait 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 i'm just I, kidding man Go a ahead. lot of fans <laughs> can say that a panthers fan can't say that to me i think the last time we played you guys in the playoffs we knocked you out so i don't <laughs> I don't think we need to go into all that. <laughs> we don't need to derail this podcast. With well, no, my, my point kind of is talk. twofold. One, uh, uh, if you are ever in the uh, Northeast and would like to go to an Eagles game, uh, perhaps if the Panthers play them, I'm happy to bring you. Okay, uh, cool. 
Yeah. Number two, um, like, so that is one of the things about Southern Bastards that I often, I do think about. Like, I'm such a huge football fan. My boys all play. I have three sons. And, uh, like, they all play. And, and, and it's such a big part of our lives. But, like, I wonder again, I found that the overlap in my life between, like, the football fans and friends I have and comics is not that, that expansive. So like, do you? It's do not, you but it is more. Saying, like, I don't quite get like what's going on, but I still like the story. Do you get that a lot? Well, you know, I think we are lucky in the sense that like Friday Night Lights probably prepped people for the idea that they could get into a story about football, even though they don't like football. Um, that was never like a thing that drove us to do the story. We just wanted to do football book. Like I always like having grown up playing sports or whatever. I used to cringe when I would see. Sports on paper. I just feel like in comics, it's just never, it's never done well. <laughs> I mostly played linebacker. I was a little heavier back then. I was going to um, say, kind of smart linebacker. But... Yeah, well, you know, it was high school football. <laughs> Carolina football. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wasn't playing in like, you know. Alabama. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, now, Jason um, never played, right? Aaron? Uh, no, he didn't. Because he's um, a huge Alabama fan. Right. Uh, you know, and I think, like, I don't want to get crazy with it, but, like, there's definitely things about playing sports. I played some basketball, too. Like, there's, like, things about it that translate to, like, drawing bodies in motion and the physics of a page and the geography of a page. Like, there's a lot of stuff that is uh, – I just never seen a lot of it, you know, like, on, on paper. So, like, that's sort of one of the things that I – I'm interested in about like drawing the football scenes is like making it convincing, but also making it work as like a comic book so that you could pop- possibly appreciate it. Even if you don't like one or the other, um, <clears throat> I think that's a unique thing. And I think moving forward, like, you know, I want to make the game as like, there's games that will come up in the plot or the, the arc of the story that I want to keep those games interesting. Like for people who, uh, or just there for the cartooning, you know, or just there for the story. And, uh, and, and are doubly, uh, interesting for people, hopefully that, you know, might be into the football side of it. But I think sure. maybe there's probably is going to be, be a, we'd probably do need to make an effort to at some point explain the nuts and bolts of football, you know, like, I think everybody knows what a quarterback is, but we might have to say like, Oh, he, these will be, these big fat sons of bitches are the line. <laughs> you know, yeah, I might have to do something like that. <clears throat> and the, the last question I have for you before we let you go is, uh, uh, you know, you are a fellow hip hop fan. Yeah. So, uh, any, any albums, mixtapes, artists that you would like to, uh, shout out or recommend that, uh, people need to know about. And you can't say run the jewels cause we all know about that. Uh, yeah, everybody knows about that now. It's kind of crazy, huh? Yeah. I mean, that is a, I think like Jason Aaron even texted me like a couple days ago or a week ago and said he was listening to the second album. And I was like, you really? Jump. I was like, now you jump straight. Me, okay. I said, you jump straight to the second album. I was like, they're, they're free. Like you can buy, you know, <laughs> like why don't you just get both of them and you could have like this double album that you could right. explore. Um, it was funny as I go in like, fits and starts with that sort of stuff. I, I've gotten to the point with like hip hop music where like, I really appreciate the art form. Um, but like it is, I think it's becoming, uh, more open for older artists, but it is still largely a young man's game. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, 
it's just hard to listen to like Jay Z rap about like <laughs> being you know sitting in a rocking chair or something you know. Sure. sure. Um, and like a, and a lot of the guys like becomes that become successful and are around like sort of lose. You know, it's hard to relate. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the new Kendrick Lamar album. Of course. And I just think, largely because I really enjoyed the last one, mm-hmm. but also because, like, I've been listening... Well, one, the three songs he's released have been really interesting in different ways. Uh, they've been, like, sort of experimental uh, within, like, the within the genres they're in, you know, like he did this sort of uplifting song that's sort of a gateway song for kids, sort of that, not just kids, but for people that are like a positive song, that, that I song. And then yeah. the last two songs have been sort of like social commentary songs. The one he did on Colbert report and then the Colbert report. And then the, the new one he released. Uh, and, I, and in the interviews with him recently, I feel like he's like turned this interesting corner where like, he's like trying to do more than just like be hot. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's always really interesting when an artist makes that choice. So I think that next album is going to be really... Uh, I have a lot of hope for it, you know? Well, I will um, leave you with a couple. I'll tell you to check out Acrobatics, Built to Last. Which okay. is, uh, I think, excellent. Uh, and I don't think it's gotten a lot of run. Um, I would say uh, uh, 65 um, who's actually speaking older dudes. He's actually in his forties. Okay. Um, but, uh, oh, he's ancient, right? ancient, <laughs> younger than you though, Vince. <laughs> yeah, there um, go. let me think what else here. Uh, I mean, those kind of stick in my mind. Um, I mean, I'm a fan of all the Aesop guys. I mean, I, I definitely think they're all great, but, um, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else here. Oh, uh, Future. Um, oh, really? Album. Yeah. Because, like, I, I'm a huge Outcast fan, and there was, like, an Outcast concert where he kind of interrupts the concert. And that Did really you go to that up. concert? Because when we were at Heroes, you were, you were actually, we were actually at nah, the Bar I, Heroes. I, I had a deadline, and I couldn't. Do you remember that? We were at the Bar yeah. Heroes, and you're like, I may have to leave, so I have to go get Outcast <laughs> tickets. And I'm like, I'm yeah. so jealous of that. You didn't do yeah. it? No. Nah. Okay. I, yeah, it kills me that I didn't do that, but I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> and the last one, by the way, is uh, Vince Staples, um, uh, Steph Jam. It's Hell Can Wait is the name of the album. But, okay, but cool. Yeah, I'll check out all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I get you know, I give everything a try nowadays. I'm, I'm just like a lot more selective with what me I. Me too. I try a lot of stuff because it's basically free to try out, but like a lot of it doesn't. I, I am feeling like an old man in these days in the sense that like, you know, I'm still more much more likely to put on like a Tribe Called Quest album from. The mid nineties and I am to try something new, but well, one of the things that I, will, I think always brings me back to like listening to hip hop on occasion or, you know, in my, I, I will kind of cycle in and out of it is like, I realized the other day that I have a shelf full of books by old white men and I like listening to young, <laughs> you know, somebody from another culture, like sort of give me, uh, you know, give me an insight. Yeah. Um, sure. And I think like it, it's a good way to sort of, even though, even if I've sort of outgrown some of it, like it's a good way to sort of, you know, open my eyes and my ears a little bit. Um, uh, so I don't think I'll ever stop. Uh, and I, and I also like 
that we've gotten to a point where, I mean, I know people hate Kanye West, but I love that guy as a, like his creative output. I think at least his vision for what he does. Like I like that a person like that can exist. Yeah. In this day and age. As a human being, he's kind of a douche, but, uh, especially that last album was, was, you know, pure, I mean, it was, it was pure genius. Again, I, I don't necessarily think that album is very fun to listen to. Like, like I wouldn't sit there and bump it in my car, but mm-hmm. like I, I thought it was clearly indicative of the guy is genuinely a genius. Like he's, he's, he's an artistic genius. I mean, again, which is different than kind of gets back to your well, point about like, like, like the art on a wall is different than telling a story. Like I think that last album of Kanye's was in, endemic of how artistically, uh, talented he is, but not necessarily the most commercially viable album that he's put out. Right. But, and then the thing is, is that he works within a much more like, uh, I mean, it's very telling that like the, the dumbass thing he said about Beck was like the same week that the shoes are dropping and the new album is starting to release. Like, you know, somebody mentioned the other day that the last time he spoke up about Taylor Swift, they were all on the same record album, you know, they're on the same, <laughs> they were all on the same label. Like, the guy is a little bit more aware of what he's saying and what he's doing, the effect of that, than people let on, or, or people realize it, I think. I think we all get a little up in arms about it. And I'm not saying he's right for doing it, but I do think that, like, if there is any benefit to all that, it's like, at the end of the day, like, he can drop a weird sort of concept album, and people will actually buy it. And how many people do that, you know? How many people are able to pull that trick off? Um, I'm kind of like in awe. Like I, I think all his stuff, at, at its best, has functioned like where there's a push and pull between like, is this is he a hypocrite? Is he actually being honest, or is he putting me on? You know, like even mm-hmm. back to college dropout. So <clears throat> well, I just find it interesting that we live in a, an era where that can exist. You know, bringing this um, back to comics before we wrap up. Uh, I assume you're a fan of uh, Pisker and and uh, Hip Hop Family Tree. I actually haven't read it. What? Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> That's bananas. I know, I know, I know it is really? bananas. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, you know, there's things that slip through everybody's fingers. Damn. You know? uh, I don't Man, only got. Show. So, Ed, you got to send Jason Latour. Okay. Oh, I am really interested in it. I just, yeah. you know, I can't read, uh, read everything. Um, Damn. All right. Well, you got to write it. Sure. So, where All can right. we see you this year? Uh, I assume we're doing a bunch of cons because of the. Marvel's probably going to be dragging you along to a bunch of places, but uh, you know what cons you're, you're definitely... <laughs> Are you ready for this madness? Yeah. <laughs> so I put it up today. Um, again, like I have that little break between Southern Bastards, so I'll be working as I travel, but um, starting... I'm doing a lot of Spider-Gwen stuff. I've got, had the good fortune of like having some signings set up for that. Mm-hmm. So the first one is in Midtown. I'm doing Midtown Comics. Um the and day where? after, the day after the book comes out, so it's like February 26th, which is a Thursday. Or? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a Thursday night signing at Midtown Comics. I might, um, I might try and go. Cool. Right. I hope so, man. <laughs> um, and then the the that Saturday, I come back home and I'm doing a we're doing a signing at Heroes Aren't Hard to Find, and they're right. doing a lot of crazy stuff for that the band that did. And you're gonna keep a vinyl for David. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, uh, the weekend after that, I'm going to Chicago and I'm doing two signings. So I'm doing, um, you going to uh, challengers, challengers. And That's... then the next day going to Skokie for all. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so that should be fun. 
As long as Shout it's out not. to the guys at Challengers. They're one of the best. Yeah. As long as it's not like 90 degrees below zero, that'll be a, a great time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then uh, Kansas City for Planet Comic Con in the middle of March. And then things get crazy. I'm going to Paris for Southern Bastards is coming out in French. Nice. So I'm going to Paris. And then between, and then I'm, then I have like a couple days in Paris for that. And then there's a five day sort of layover where I'm going to be in England doing two signings in England for Traveling Man. And then India. <laughs> We're going to Bangalore Comic Con, which is both like First really. Time? Yeah, really exciting and a little bit intimidating. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and then free comic book day for I might go to C2E2, not mm-hmm. sure. Free comic book day at Heroes, New York Special Edition, and Heroes Con, and that's all that's in stone for now. All right, well we'll see you in Heroes. That is a long list, man. <laughs> it is, man. We'll see you at Heroes. We'll see you at New York Special Edition, most likely. And uh, do you think you'll be at New York Comic Con proper too? Yeah. I generally go to, uh, you know, I love New York. So what about Baltimore? Maybe this year. Uh, cool. I went to Cincinnati uh, last year, so they usually fall in a weird, cool, uh, you know, sort of. Well, I know I'm personally really excited to see you then at Heroes and get uh, another jam piece, a couple pages of Southern Bastards. This is going to be good. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be yeah. good for me. Sure, it sure is. All about me. <laughs> Hang on, it's important to have. There you go. Always is. <laughs> got a dream, right, Jason? That's all right, about yeah. their dream. The Nation of Jasons. I mean, come on. That's right. Thanks. I guess that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know, Dave. You guys well, I'm sure that was the longest podcast ever. I'm so, so no, like we usually go two, three hours, oh. man. So okay, we're, cool. I appreciate you sticking with us for this long. But uh, uh, I've talked enough. Do you guys have anything else you want to? No, a lot of words of wisdom. I, I got out a, a lot out of uh, especially the uh, defining your, your, uh, your path. Uh, examples that that's re- really um, what I'm trying to do right now. So the just hearing it out of your mouth it makes it even more uh, real. How about that? Well, I hope. I mean, I hope it helps. I, you know, I don't know. I don't. Again, it's just one dude's take. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well that's cool. I mean, uh, hopefully your your year goes better than Greg Hardy's. <laughs> yeah. Well, it couldn't go much worse. And uh, we do sincerely thank you for coming aboard. Yes. And congrats on all the success, man. I mean, again, like you said, 15-year overnight success. But uh, but uh, it's, it's well-deserved on all fronts. So, you know, thanks, we're guys. big fans, and it's been great. Absolutely. And, well, uh, thanks, we'll man. De- we'll definitely uh, see you this year on the uh, on the circuit, man. All right, man. Well, thank you all for having me on. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and congrats for all the deluge of positivity you're about to get next week for Spider-Gwen. We'll see. I hope so. <laughs> Don't fuck it up, man. <laughs> Don't drop the ball. Well, if so I'm, nice. I'm going to fuck it up, I've already done that. So we'll just move on and <laughs> clean up the mess. All right. All right, cool. Well, thanks again, man. Yeah, you guys are welcome, man. All right, have a good night. Yeah, you too. Later. Peace. See you. Boom. There you go. Wise beyond his years. He's an intelligent young man. Yes. He is. That was good. It's good, good stuff. good stuff. You know where else you can find good stuff? Where? I have no idea. My closet? I think in discount. <laughs> I didn't say small well, stuff. What do you say? Discount. 
<laughs> discount comic book service. DCBService.com where you can get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door for a mere fraction of what Bad you would fraction. pay elsewhere. For example, oh, you can't ever right, trust me. No. Nope, no, no. I, I, I'm all bamboozled <laughs> now. <laughs> nice. You're a bad person. <laughs> from from Valiant, Bloodshot Reborn number one, dollar ninety nine. Dark Horse, Ghost Fleet uh, Trade Volume One, seven dollars and forty nine cent. And from Image, it's the Legacy of Luther Strode number one, cost you a dollar ninety nine. DCBService.com, they are the absolute best. Best. We doing the in your travels? Why the hell not? Woo! In your travels, right? In your in your travels, I implore you once again to read Abe Sapien oh, nice. from Dark Horse, uh, written by Mike Mignola and Scott Alley. Sebastian Friamara is on the art, and the colors are by. Di- Pardon me. Is he related to Max? Yes. Cool. <laughs> he he is, uh, and the colors are by Dave Stewart. And you will not believe um, a man could fly, and the story is taken a nasty turn again. The uh, the underworld dwellers are blowing up. It's getting um, Pacific Rim level now. They're getting bigger, they're getting more plentiful, and they're getting bolder. And our buddy Abe is still in the self-imposed exile because he believes, as do well, he doesn't believe, but he. He's afraid that maybe there's a connection between him and what's going on. Uh, the world at large believes that there is. That's the problem. The creepy crawlies are amazing in this book. Jason, are you, are you caught up on this? Are you reading this at all? No, bro. No. Oh, good God. It's I'm so good. I'm on the whole Mignolaverse. Yeah. Well, Abe Sapien is only up to, I believe, issue 20. No, I know, but I'm so not like, be like quick... I, um, I'm still on like the beginning of, is it Hell on Earth, like the Hell on Earth BPRD stuff. So, oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's, it gets all Pacific Rim in the house. Like cool. these things are, gi- they're gigantic and they bring down buildings and there's quarantine zones and the, the world is completely changed. Uh, and it's, it's outstanding. So, um, 350 cover price read abe sapien it it gives me much much joy oh yeah uh in your travels uh, hi hi this is uh <laughs> this is a four issue series i just read the second issue today uh third issue will be out soon this is conan red sonia oh i read that uh <laughs> the age of innocence was book one the Age of Adventure is book two. The upcoming book three is The Age of War. It's written by Gail Simone and Jim Zub, and it is drawn beautifully by your friend and mine, Mr. Dan Pinosian. Tell me, tell me now, one of the hottest Red Sonias next to Frank oh, Thorne? Ab- yes oh, or absolutely. no? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, especially the, the second book on, on the, uh, with the pirate ships and, 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 uh, um, and, and as a young Conan, the first one, and, uh, there's, um, there's basically the, the, the gist of this story is, uh, through different parts in their lives, Conan and Red Sonia have, 
have met up and, uh, just pure coincidence, not like, uh, they're traveling together or anything. Um, and it starts off with them young and, uh, we're, we're, we're getting them as, as they're getting older through the years. And, uh, like in the second book, it takes place after Red was, uh, a, a killing slave for like three years. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's really, you know, you don't need to be steeped in, in either's, uh, mythology, I think, to, to really enjoy it. Pinosian is just, he's a beast with this. It, it looks amazing. The color is fantastic, but the, uh, he, his, his style, especially in the second one is very, um, it's, there feels more at home, uh, like from the sixties, it's just the, the his, his figures and and just the way he breaks everything down. Uh, Colors, of course, by Dave Stewart, um, and it is uh, co-published by Dynamite and Dark Horse. But it is definitely something I recommend if you're uh, if you're familiar with either property, or even if you're not, and you just want something a little different and uh, just not your usual superhero cape and cowl fare. It's uh, it's pretty good and it's written really well. It's not super text heavy. They, they do let some of the action tell, uh, tell the story, but you're, um, you're, it, it's, it's a book where you definitely don't feel cheated after you're done reading an issue. You're, uh, you're getting your money's worth. It's, it's, uh, I, I, no, I, I seriously recommend it. Pinocian's, uh, line work in this thing is as rugged. I just thought this up as you were saying this is as rugged as the unforgiving lands in which these stories take place. I like it. So in, in other words, it's perfect. Yeah, it is. And you got this attraction between Conan and Sonia. They know that they're not good for right. each other. And they're pre- it's pretty much a conflict of interest because they both kind of sort of do the same yeah. things. And there, there's this magnetism, but they're like, nah, son. And he even says in the and, second one, he's like, oh, well, so, so you're with her. So that explains why... Uh... But, but he didn't come out and say it, but but Sonya kind of finishes his thought how how uh, she just didn't fall in his arms and go to sleep with him that right. night. Just, he, he expected her right. to, and instead she, she right. cut him. So and he's like, what? <laughs> when she cut him in that, in that first issue, oh, it was, it was awesome. great. It was great. They yeah. they they do uh, they play off each other very well. They are they're very evenly matched. And uh, before I forget, he um, came out this week. On disc, uh, go get yourself some Birdman. Oh yeah, yes. Before he wins Best Actor, yes. I'm, I'm thinking. I think this Sunday. I see. I do think this Sunday he's winning Best Actor. I would love it. Yep. I think that's true. Um, in your travels, uh, I caught up, and you should too, on our friend Scotty Young's Marvel Epic Rocket Raccoon. Uh, so. The last time we talked about it, Scotty was writing and drawing it, um, which he did for the first four issues. But um, he seeded the drawing uh, of the book from there. Uh, issues five and six were drawn by Jake Parker, who um, Dap knows from our Kickstarter backing. Yes. He, he did an awesome anthology, um, and Jake is a phenomenal cartoonist and a friend of Scotty's. So it was great to see him get some Marvel work. And uh, in in that in in those two issues. Uh, essentially, um, you know, Rocket is, uh, is, uh, getting in all sorts of shenanigans, not the least of which is being hired to destroy cosmic lice 
which we find out are, um, are, are inhabiting ego, the living planets, uh, body, which is awesome. Uh, and, uh, and then ultimately the story is, uh, is, is very charming. It's about Cosmo from Guardians of the Galaxy. Basically, uh, Rocket owes him a favor. And so he calls Rocket in to take on a mission for him, which is that, uh, there is a planet where all of the universe's war mechs, like, 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 uh, like robotic killing machines f- basically go to retire. And rather than get put out to pasture, they go to this planet and live peaceful existences where they just live like farmers and bakers and just normal lives. And, uh, somebody gets the idea that, uh, that like w- what a waste that is. So they scoop up a number of these, these mechs and try and recondition them to be killing machines again and sell them to the highest bidder. And Cosmo contends that the, he owes them a life debt. So he needs Rocket to go and save them. And Rocket goes, goes ahead and does that. Um, and, uh, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. And then it really takes a, a change in tone with the seventh issue where Philippe Andrade, who, uh, who was last I knew of was doing the, the Miss Marvel comic a while ago. And, uh, let me just say that Philippe's work here is a much better fit for his style than, uh, than like Miss Marvel. But, uh, here Rocket finds himself on an Arctic planet, kind of evocative of Hoth or, uh, or Jotunheim for you Thor fans. Hmm. And, uh, he, he has to, uh, he has to save his buddy Groot. You know, Groot is, uh, comes across as almost impermeable in the sense that he always regrows. But, uh, something has happened to him on this planet, which I won't spoil, which makes his ability to regenerate at jeopardy. And, uh, Rocket must go on a seemingly impossible mission in order to save his good buddy Groot. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just a lot of fun. There's just so many sight gags, of course. Um, as, as many of our listeners know, Vince and David and I were all mentioned in, in clever ways over the course of the series so far. And we love, we love Scotty for that. Uh, um, Rocket mentions going to the planet Baxter Prime in one of the issues, which again is, is Scotty's son is named Baxter. So just lots of little things like that, that, uh, are, are a lot of fun. But, but, uh, this is a book with a lot of heart and, um, uh, and again, three very distinctive artistic styles if you juxtapose scotty's first horseshoes to jake's to philippe's and i think each one uh serves the the story well which is a credit to scotty for crafting the story to fit the artist so um i have had a blast with this and i can't wait for uh issue number eight to hit the stand soon yep so there you go good on you good on Scotty. yes yes, sir all right hey thank you for being here with us once again and uh clunk as David is, is want to say, you better come back next week because he loves you so much. Too much. And we all do. Yes. Oh, yes. It's unhealthy how much David loves oh, yeah. you. Say. Absolutely. Right. Join us. I've mixed feelings. Like, we're like the deadites. Join us next week. Be here. Same place you found this one. Say good night, David. Good night, David. Good night, David. Bye. <laughs>
Oh, 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 oh,